When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Hopefully you had a nice Easter weekend for those of us that were celebrating. I know uh, those of you that are Orthodox Christians, you guys are celebrating next weekend. And for those of you who are Jewish, we are smack dab right in the middle of Passover. We'll, uh, we'll discuss a wide variety of holidays, current and upcoming, uh, throughout the next hour, throughout the next few minutes. Now, anywhere you look in the news, you just shake your head. You look overseas... You see, you know, a, a, a nuclear uh, a nuclear warship that might blow up as uh, people are fighting for their lives and fighting for their homes. You look up at Albany, you see corrupt politicians being arrested. You look in Washington, you see nothing but negative mudslinging one side against the other. You look around uh, what's happening in New York here, you see mass shootings on trains. I mean, if there has ever been a moment where it's important to take stock of the things that give us joy, the things that bring us happiness, and to find laughter through times when it can be difficult to find laughter. I don't know what it is. And uh, one of my favorite people, one of my favorite happiness experts, happens to be my friend Jeffrey Gurian, comedy writer, stand-up comic, host, author, producer, director, and, of course, former dentist and man with the best hair in all of comedy, <laughs> Jeffrey. How are you? Thanks for coming in. I am great. Thanks so much for having me, Frank. And I want to start off by wishing everybody a happy Easter and a happy Passover. It's so wonderful that we all get to celebrate together at this time of the year. Absolutely. Now, last time you were here, you were wearing, I think, a dog collar. Uh, today, you're wearing sort of a, a Hawaiian shirt, right. which I like. I'm, I'm digging this look. I want to bring spring on, uh, you know? Exactly. Part of what I teach people in happiness is that clothing also brings happiness. And mm. you should not only wear clothing that makes you happy, but it should make the people who see you feel happy as well. I think that's and a very, uh, very important philosophy. I think that's good. It's part of creating your own happiness center. It's one of the things that I teach when I lecture on happiness is to create a happiness center. Because as soon as you leave the house, you have no control over what happens to you, over what the universe puts in your path. The only place you can hope to control your environment is where you live. So it's important that you surround yourself with things that make you smile, whether it's colors. Like if you came to my house, it's filled with balloons. And crayons. You never see balloons at a funeral. People, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> never. You never see balloons at a funeral. Balloons are a symbol of happiness. So I have little toys and things and bright colors. Everything's white. My carpeting's white. My piano's white. And people who come in, they say they can feel 
an air of happiness, and, and that's what I want. And, and by the way, lest anyone think your life is always a bed of roses, we've talked before, you recently survived double COVID pneumonia. Yeah. Very serious. You were hospitalized. You had a very, very serious health scare. Lucky to be alive, quite frankly. Absolutely. And uh, you don't seem any worse for wear. <laughs> I'm grateful every day, that's, Frank. That's so you important. Know, and I think positive thinking had a lot to do with me getting through. Kindness is also very important. I got a lot of support from people, from friends, and a lot from strangers. You know, um, the comedy community is very strong. Mm. And I used to be a regular on Sirius XM, and they announced that I was in the hospital. And I literally started getting hundreds of messages from people. And I'm a big believer in the power of prayer and the power of thought. And when so many people are focusing their energy on one thing, I really believe that it has an effect. And I was too sick to answer any of these messages. But just knowing that people were thinking of me really helped me a lot. And afterwards, I said, you know, it's a shame that we have to be so sick to know that people care it's about true. us. That's true. You know? That's because true. on a daily basis, we tend not to tell people what they mean to us. You know, Norman Vincent Peale's whole philosophy was all about the power of positive thinking. And I think studies have borne that out, that there actually is a real-world physical impact to positive thinking, both the person that's, you know, experiencing the pain and sort of absorbing the positive energy from people around them. So uh, I think that's so important. There was a very famous scientist that I got the pleasure of working with, and I am blanking on her name, but I remember the book that she wrote. It was called Molecules of Emotion. Mm. She was one of the only women to get her own laboratory in Washington, D.C., and I worked on her for headaches that she was having, and she proved that every thought that you have creates chemicals in your body. And so it's real. You know, when they say laughter is the best medicine, mm. when when you're happy, you're creating endorphins. The Give me that, that book again. That sounds interesting. Molecules Maybe. of Emotion. That, that, that actually, I'm going to try and pick that. And one, I wish I out. could remember her name. Uh, well, I'll probably, look it up. I'll, yeah, I'll mention okay. it a little bit later. Thank you. But, but it's a very powerful thing. When I was laying in the hospital, first with the heart attack, I had like six years mm -hmm. ago. I was joking with the, with the surgeon on the operating table. They were unplugging the artery in my heart. It was it was. They called it a widowmaker heart attack, which is obviously very serious. It's the major artery to the left side of the heart, the LAD artery. And they were unplugging it, and I wasn't fully asleep. They keep you kind of in a twilight sleep. And I felt it. I felt what they were doing. And I said to the guy, I feel you in my heart, not in a romantic way, but <laughs> I, I feel you in my heart. And the whole crew started to laugh, you know, during this uh, surgical procedure. And later in the day, and then he said, I'll give you more anesthetic. Later in the day, he came to my room and he hugged me and he said, I want you to know you're a miracle. And I was like, no, you're the miracle. You're the guy who figured out how to save me. But again, I had to fight to stay in a positive state because I've been aware for a long time that when you're, when you're in a negative state, your immune system doesn't function as uh, well. Uh, that is for sure. That you know, is for sure. If you walk into a room, a crowded room, and somebody is sad or angry, you can feel it. No, no doubt about it. And if somebody is no happy, you can also it. feel that. We're very sensitive, but we don't realize it. We don't acknowledge it. Animals do that right away. Mm. Animals, you know, dogs and cats. If a dog or a cat likes a person, that's usually a good person. And if a dog or a cat doesn't like a person, if they, you know, if you bring someone into your home and you have a pet and that pet 
is aggressive and doesn't like that person, they're probably sensing something well, that's real. The exception is our cat, Melchizedek. He doesn't like anybody <laughs> except my wife and me. So that's not a good barometer of uh, someone's character. Melchizedek, that's a very powerful name. Where'd you come up with I, that? I didn't. He was named when I uh, when I met my wife. I had nothing to do with the naming of this cat. He's it's uh, All the cats have, well, at least two-thirds of the cats have biblical names. That it, is a magical name. It, Jeffrey Gurian is here. Uh, now, Jeffrey, you're Jewish, right? I I am. And so do you do anything for Passover or have you done anything for Passover this yeah, year? Yeah, last night I had a great Seder at my ex-wife's house, which used to be my house, by the way. Oh, you know, in the Jewish religion, they say... Do they have a plaque? Uh, this was once <laughs> Jeffrey Gurian's house out there? In the, the Jewish religion, they say, don't bother getting married. Just find a woman you like and buy her a house. <laughs> that's the thing, you know? Yeah, it was a great house. I think that's and, in the Torah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's in the Torah, exactly. Th- those... You never see anybody on the subway reading a Torah, by the way. You this know, with true. the big scrolls. This is true. And you yeah. have to ask the guy next to you, could you point to this while you're scrolling? It would be very hard to read on the subway. But with with my ex-wife and her husband and their new children and my children, I have a very big extended family due to the principles that I try and live by. There are certain spiritual principles that are very important. So th- this probably shouldn't surprise me, but it, it sounds like you have a very good relationship with your ex-wife. I do, and I think it's very important. She's the mother of my that's, children. That's pretty rare, isn't it? I mean, I think cordial so. is one thing. Friendly, spending holidays together, I think that's another. We do that every year. And that's we great. have for many, many years. Um not everybody is meant to be in your life forever. And a lot of times you don't see that. It's only in retrospect. Mm. When we split up, she remarried and she adopted two children and she had one of her own. And what I can see in, you know, in the rearview mirror is that those two little children needed to be adopted and that little girl she had needed to be born. And that couldn't have happened had I still been there. Now, so pass- when you look back at your life, sometimes it makes sense. Oh, no, that, that's uh, that's for sure. That's great. And you get along with her current husband. Yeah, I actually, you know what? He owns a big gas station, and I bring my car to him to be fixed. And to show you how much I trust the guy, I even let him do my brakes, Frank, <laughs> <laughs> which is a big, it's a big trust thing to let a guy do your brakes. Yeah. Uh, I know a fella that, uh, that actually his current wife goes to his ex-wife to get her hair done. Uh, which is, I think, equally impressive. Yeah, it is. Now, Passover, as far as Jewish holidays goes, that's not one of the more uh, somber, sad holidays. That's a little bit more of an upbeat holiday, right? Or is it somewhere it is, in between? It is, and it's, it has such an interesting story to it. You know, Moses led the Jewish people out of the desert because the Pharaoh, he, well, he didn't want to let them go. The Jewish people were in slavery. And Moses actually was he was the baby that was put in a basket mm. and sent down the Nile River and he was adopted by the pharaoh's daughter not knowing that he was a jewish baby and he grew up not knowing that he was jewish and when he finally found out he led the jewish people out of egypt into the desert there was no gps in those days right. so unfortunately yeah. if he had had a better sense of direction they say we would have had all the oil but he didn't know which way to go and and so it took 40 years and What's interesting is that the number 40 recurs in both the New Testament and the Old Testament over and over again. Lent is 40 40 days, days, right? right? And 40 nights, right? Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. Mm. Noah's Ark reigned for 40 days and 40 nights. That number seems to be magical, and it's mentioned 146 times in the Bible. 
Um, I didn't know that. That's wild. Yeah. I- I've been to quite a few Passover seders, none this year. But I like a lot of the Passover cuisine. You know, I like the gefilte fish. And I know a lot of Jewish folks don't like gefilte fish. I I like it. I like the matzahs with well. horseradish. N- naturally, you gotta so have you, like, you like you like fish? I do, but I've never seen one. No one knows where they come from. You can't catch a gefilte fish. No, no one, no one has actually ever found. Like you never go in and see an aquarium and it's, it's filled true. with gefilte fish. Yeah, it's like I, you, you got to be visiting more Jewish aquariums. I That's think the thing. I think that must be it. Maybe in Israel they have a gefilte fish <laughs> exhibit someplace, but not any place that I've been. But what's interesting is, so God supposedly put ten plagues on Egypt to let the people go. You're not going to tell and, me gefilte fish was one of the ten no, plagues. No, no, it was no. like rivers of blood and boils and, and and locusts and the last one. See, the Pharaoh had decreed that the firstborn Jewish children, male children, should be killed, and that's how Moses had escaped. His mother put him in a basket and mm. sent him down the Nile. That's so, how Matt Blaze, our engineer, escaped with, yeah. <laughs> in a small basket down a river, right? Which is a rough way to grow up. But it's so interesting. So so the tenth plague was the death of the firstborn. And they told the Jewish people to mark your door with lamb's blood. Mm-hmm. So part of the Passover Seder is what they call a Paschal lamb. There's a, a, a shank bone, a lamb bone that signifies the lamb that was sacrificed. And so the Jewish people would put uh, a mark of lamb's blood on their door to show that they were Jewish. So the angel of death would pass over them. Right. And um, these days, that's what a mezuzah is. Oh, I see. That's why Jewish people have a mezuzah on their door, because you can't get lamb's blood anymore. (laughs) We're not sacrificing lambs anymore. And when I grew up, I didn't know that. I thought it was because Jewish people are very polite. (laughs) Just in case a pogrom breaks out in the middle of the night, we didn't want you disturbing our Gentile neighbors. (laughs) So we so we mark our doors so you know where the Jewish people live. If you had to pick a favorite Passover delicacy, though, what would it be? It doesn't sound like it is gefilte fish. No, there's a special thing. Uh, oh, it's very sweet, and it's a mixture of – I'm blanking on the name. It's, it's a, a pastry or it's uh, it's something else? You put it on a little piece of matzah during the, like, uh, during the Seder. And this year we did a very different kind of Seder. And I must say my ex-wife had a wonderful idea. She said rather than do the traditional Seder this year, we we each wrote up memories of the people who passed on who weren't with us to celebrate this year. And she put it into a book. There must have been about 20 of us there, and everybody got a book of memories, and we read them out loud. That's nice. You and know, it, it, very su- special it doesn't surprise me that uh, that you have such a great attitude in life and you have a great relationship with your ex-wife. You know who does also a very good attitude and a very good relationship with his ex-wife? I think maybe both of his ex-wives. Uncle Floyd, who's a regular listener oh, really? to this oh, yeah? show and who calls into this show. I think he and his ex-wife both listen to this show. He I, I similarly impressed me with that uh, uh, with that whole thing. I'll tell you why it's important. Too many people hate each other when they break up. And if you have children, especially, if you don't have children, you never have to see each other again. Right. But if you share children and you love your children, they wouldn't be those children if it wasn't for that other person's DNA. Mm. It had to be that person in order for you to have the children that you have. And to me, my children are so special that I honor her as the mother of my children. 
So I never said a bad word about no. her, and she never said a bad word about That's me. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. All right. Somebody that was also a uh, a terrific husband by, by the looks of it and based on everything that I've heard, and a very devoted father, somebody that became a father later in life, is somebody that you don't immediately think of when it comes to fatherhood. It was... Oh, 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 come right in. Don't let the fact that my door's closed dissuade you in any way from entering my office. Sir, we're at the Beverly Hills Police Department. Are you Mr. Sidney Bernstein? Yes, lucky guess. Well, sir, you have 25 unpaid parking tickets. We have a warrant for your arrest. Tw- 25? What 25? You what? have 25 unpaid parking tickets, sir? I, I, I pay my tickets. I pay I pay all my tickets. Sir, do you own a black Mercedes-Benz license plate number CRL 507? 507? That's my wife's car. That's not my car. That's my wife's 25 unpaid yeah, parking I mean, tickets. It's under my name, but it's my wife's car. No, no, no. The great Gilbert Gottfried uh, passed away last week. We talked about him a great deal at the time, but uh, every the whole world, not just the comedy world, is still collectively mourning. I know you knew Gilbert a long time. We talked about Gilbert uh, the last time that you were here. Who knew it was going to be the last appearance that you were going to do while he was alive with me? And um, you, you and Gilbert went back how long? More than four decades. Really? Yeah. Do you remember how you first got to know one another? I was enthralled by Gilbert when I moved to, well, in 1980, I was writing for Rodney Dangerfield, and I think that's about the time that I met him. And when I moved to the city, I was living on 76th and 1st, and Catch was 77th and 1st. Catch a Rising Star. Catch a Rising Star. And Gilbert was a regular at Catch a Rising Star. And in one of the pictures that I sent you that they posted on page six, it has him with a full head of curly hair and me with my 80s porno mustache. Mm. <laughs> and uh, those were the early days that I met him. I used to drive him around. Um, I used to drive him home to make sure he got home safely. When you <laughs> saw his act back then, yeah. uh, was he someone that you knew was destined for uh, big-time stardom, or was he as funny as 10 of the other comics that were there? Yeah, he was always different, and for some reason, unique always interested me. You know, I started covering the comedy scene as a comedy journalist about – Oh, and around 1999, but in the early days, I had an eye for talent, I guess. I saw Jerry Seinfeld before he was famous and Paul Reiser when they just started out. And I went up to them to introduce myself and tell them how funny I thought they were. And I actually offered to introduce them to a guy who was managing me at the time. Uh, Gilbert was so unique. There's never been anyone like him. There never will be. He always worked with his eyes closed. I think that gave him courage to mm. say things that he that you know because he always said such outrageous things. Right. But he would say things. That, I mean, I never laughed so hard. He would say stuff like you know an alien spaceship landed and I went over to see it and little green men got out and one of them said to me, you know Ben Gazzara is a good actor. Why doesn't he get better parts? <laughs> and I was like, where did that come from? That's like he had the most obscure references. That was unbelievable. He would come out on stage with a, a paper napkin. First, you know, he'd walk out on stage with his eyes closed and his hands out like this, like, and very awkward. He would, like, fumble with the mic. And for some reason, that made sense to me. I don't know why, but I I really understood him. And he would take a paper napkin and he would tear it into strips, like tentacles. And
and he would blow through it. And he'd like, look, a squid, a squid. <laughs> and then he would do 10 minutes of squid jokes. And then he'd be like, no one has more squid material than I do. As if other comedians actually told squid, <laughs> squid jokes. You know, you know it's funny. Um, he was on Saturday Night Live briefly with my friend, with our friend Joe Piscopo, uh, who people can hear every, every Sunday right. night on the Sundays Joe. with Sinatra show. Yeah. I have nobody better than Joe Piscopo. And it's interesting. He didn't really seem to take off when he was a cast member of Saturday Night Live. What do you think it was about his appeal that uh, wasn't necessarily an instant sensation when TV viewers saw it? But uh, clearly he developed enough fans through not only stand up, but movies and podcasts and uh, being the Aflac duck and a whole bunch of other things that he was able to, you know, to really do well. One of the best known comics of, of this generation. Yeah. He was an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. I think in those days he was so new that he hadn't really come into the Gilbert that he became. And from what I understand on SNL, it's up to the writers how many sketches they put you in. If they get you as a character, they write you into a lot more sketches. I see. And I think that maybe, so maybe the writers they weren't writing him. him because he was hard to get because he was so different and so unique. You know, there's nobody ever like that. He wasn't copying... Most comics talk about a lot of the same things, you know? They just get up and they do – maybe it's funny stuff. Right. And all, could but, be observational humor. Could be insults. Could be whatever. But. Yeah, but it, you know, but they're regular topics. Mm-hmm. Gilbert would come up with squid material. Mm-hmm. Who's doing squid material? You know what I mean? And, and his stuff was just so unique and so different. His thoughts, you know, he was a comedic genius. And, uh, no doubt about and it. And he had the nerve to do it. You know, a lot of his stuff was so outrageous. I was at the Friars roast when Shecky Green quit the Friars because he was so offended. You know, it's funny. Bruce Jarrett was here the other day oh, and yeah? told, had mentioned that same story. And you know what? I can't remember the joke. I was there. I had interviewed them both, you know, that night. It was uh, an event honoring somebody and uh, – and, Gilbert did this joke, and Shecky got so upset that he tore up his membership. Wow. And he stormed out. And so I interviewed him afterwards. I actually brought him on the radio to talk about it, and I can't remember the joke, and it doesn't appear online. I, I tried I to noticed, look it up. I tried to look it up, I too. tried to look it up, uh, too. And Bruce I, said he couldn't tell it to me on the air, so I'm going to have to get him next time, uh, next time I see him It could have been the aristocrats, his version of the aristocrats, because very often, if he told a joke and it didn't work, he'd go into the aristocrats, <laughs> which is so horrible. He said things that I couldn't say if I was home alone. I couldn't say it to myself. That's how embarrassing That's very it was. funny. Uh, we're talking with Jeffrey Gurry, and uh, you could uh, check out his website at ComedyMatters.tv. That's uh, ComedyMatters.tv. ComedyMatters.tv.com. Oh, excuse me. ComedyMatters.tv.com. I appreciate yeah, that, That's okay. Um, if you want to call in, if you have a question about anything we're chatting about, you can reach us at 800-848-WABC. Now, all over the world, they have picked up on this story in the New York Post this weekend involving you and Gilbert Gottfried. If people haven't seen this story yet, I'm going to ask you to share it with uh, with the audience. Tell us what happened when you took Gilbert to one of the trendiest restaurants here in New York. Well, it wasn't my choice. I I was doing a book called Make Them Laugh, and it was on the history of the legendary comedy club, The Comic Strip, that was owned by a man named Richie Tinkin, who left us just a year ago in March. And Richie was responsible for the careers of Eddie Murphy. He discovered Chris Rock. Chris wrote the intro to this book, as Mm. a matter of fact. And uh, it... The club opened in 1976. Jerry Seinfeld spent the first four years of his career there from 76 to 80 until he went to L.A. Ray Romano made his career on that stage. Uh, 
Billy Crystal was the first comedian on opening night. George Wallace, Jim Gaffigan, Lisa Lampanelli, Susie Essman. So I interviewed them all for the book. They all came and they sat with me, except Billy Crystal. I went to L.A. to his office in Beverly Hills. Uh, the only one that asked to be taken out to lunch was Gilbert. And so he, <laughs> he had a reputation for being very frugal. I like to use the word frugal. They called him cheap. But, you know, Susie Essman once told me that she used to ask him if he'd share a cab with her to go from show to show. And he said he'd rather wait for the bus. <laughs> his, his idea of a, a big date was buying a girl a second drink. That was, the, that was the joke at the time. So everyone knew about Gilbert's frugality. So he insisted that we take him out to lunch. So I, I, I called his wife, Dara, to make sure that he would be there on time because with Gilbert, you never knew. And she she was very responsible, and she made sure that he would be uh, ready on time. So Richie and I pick him up, and where does he choose Pastis, which at the time was the most expensive, right, the right. trendiest club uh, restaurant on 14th Street. We take him there. The place is packed. It's so noisy. How are you going to do an interview in a noisy restaurant, mm-hmm. right? The three of us are sitting there, and Gilbert starts ordering food <laughs> off the menu. He's ordering every expense. I think I ordered a burger. He's ordering everything off the menu. He's even asking for things they don't have. And they're like, we're sorry. We don't have that. And, and, and Richie's choking because he's paying for everything. Right. He paid for parking. He's paying for the food. And Gilbert just keeps finally dessert. Uh, you know, comes and, and I'm like, I have to do the interview because uh, you can't interview people while they're eating. He insists he's never been at the club. <laughs> After all that, he says, I was never there. He said, I, I stood in front of the location for years waiting for it to be built, but it never came. He goes, and then I heard it was built. He said, and I heard it had the best electricity of any comedy club in the city, and it had one comfortable chair, and the comedians would take turns sitting in that chair. And he started coming up with this absurd stuff, right? And Richie, I thought he was going to have a heart attack because, like, you know, how am I going to use this in the book on the history of the comic strip? The guy says he was never there. Finally, I get him. You know, he couldn't answer a simple question. Every question he answered with a joke. And for me, it was comedy gold because my dream since I met him was always to riff back and forth with Gilbert Gottfried. You know, like I did a a video um, with him asking him if he was in a, a... a dance routine. You know, in 2015 at the Just for Laughs Festival, they did a false funeral for him. They thought it was funny to choose a comedian to be waked. And of all people, they chose Gilbert. And so I went to his funeral, his false funeral, and I interviewed him at the time. And he made a big joke that he had to be embalmed. They had to take out all his insides and fill him with sawdust. And, you know, it was by the way, if people uh, want to check yeah, out yeah. that book, that uh, oh, it's called "Make Them Laugh." Make them laugh. And then there's an updated version called "Laughing Legends." It was published by Skyhorse, and it's available on Amazon. Do, uh, we but have it's got all of, these uh, crazy stories. Skyhorse in here recently. Tony oh, really? Lyons, a great, great guy. I like Tony a lot. You have everybody in. Well, here. We everybody try. comes we try. on your show. Um, it's uh, not everybody's as willing to uh, stay up late as as you and Tony are. We're going to continue with Jeffrey yeah. Green. Um, oh, uh, let me see that photo real quick. This is it's you and Gilbert, Gilbert Gottfried back in 1992. Now describe these glasses that he's wearing. Well, I was commissioned to do a series of futuristic comedy films for Playboy TV. And they had to be funny and they had to be sexy. And so I called friends of mine. I called uh, Richard Belzer. I called Gilbert. 
Bibi Leger, and I called Phil Hartman, whose wife wouldn't let him do it because we had to film it in a strip club. There, the strip club was not open at the time, but just knowing oh, that it was my. a strip club, she wouldn't let him come. But Gilbert came, and he had to wear these crazy glasses. They're kind of like the glasses that uh, years ago, if you went to an eye doctor and they were checking your eyesight, they would put these kind of glasses on you. They were, they look like microscopes. And you, 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 in order to see, you had to focus them. And he was going up trying to meet girls by asking them the worst question. Would you like to see some pictures of my furniture? <laughs> and then he, he would take out his wallet and show them pictures of his desk and his couch. <laughs> and his, so obviously no girls were really interested. But his friend told him that it was because of his glasses and that he should go get new glasses. So I took my dental office and I turned it into an eye doctor's office. I put – you know, eye uh, charts up there and all. And the nurse was played by a, a girl named Camille Donatacci, who later on married Kelsey Grammer and ah, became yes, Camille, Camille Grammer, Grammer sure. who's one of the real housewives of Beverly Hills. But in those days, she was a young aspiring actress, and she played the sexy nurse. And Gilbert, so he pays extra for X-ray vision, thinking that he was going <laughs> to see through girls' clothing, right? And... This this little prop, I don't know where to hold it so you can see it, but this little prop was the exact prop that Gilbert had. Looks like it's a black device about the size of a beeper with a red button with a red and button. an antenna. The doctor said to him, when you want the x-ray vision, press this red button. So he pressed the red button looking at the nurse, and he gets real x-ray vision. He sees her skeleton, <laughs> and he goes crazy in the chair. He's like spasming out that he can't – he was taken advantage of. And – the film is called Seeing is Believing, and if you want to see it, it's on my Comedy Matters TV oh, terrific. YouTube channel. It's on YouTube. You go to youtube.com slash Comedy Matters TV. That's cool. 500 interviews with everybody from Jimmy Fallon on down, but there's several with Gilbert. That's fine. So if you want to see them, That's they're fun. there. Uh, we're going to continue with Jeffrey Gurian in a minute. 800-848-WABC if you want to comment on anything we're chatting about. Uh, 800-848-9222. <laughs> Jeffrey writes books faster than I can read them. We're going to talk about <laughs> one of his more recent books in just a minute. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. Hey folks, it's early April. Summer's right around the corner. Time to lose that winter weight and be fit and healthy by the summer with MJ Diet. This is my good buddy, Dr. Arthur Turovitz. It only takes 40 days to lose 20 to 40 plus pounds. The contractually guaranteed money back program is unlike any diet plan you've ever heard of before. Trust me. It starts with bioenergetically personalized supplements based on your hair, saliva, and blood work. Then MJ Diet uses DNA testing to create your ideal diet plan and workout regimen, help you keep the weight off for the rest of your life. MJ Diet is all natural, no shots, no hormones. Hormones, no surgery, and no dreaded prepackaged foods. You're fully monitored to make sure you are burning fat and not just losing water. And you'll also get the doctor's personal email and phone number. They've got locations throughout the tri-state area or from home with live online video consultations. Lose a contractually guaranteed 20 to 40 plus pounds in only 40 days. It's the best plan out there, trust me. Call today, 855-5NJ-DIET or log on to NJDiet.com. Go to NJDiet.com and lose the weight for good today. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Frank Marano, 
This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Jeffrey Gurian is here. He's in the midst of celebrating uh, Passover. We're in the midst of celebrating Easter. And a bunch of people have emailed me. You can email me as well, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Uh, and uh, several people have direct messaged me on Twitter as well. You can find me on Twitter at Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. That the dish that Jeffrey was trying to think of earlier, that Passover delicacy, was Haroset. Well, either Herosis, you could pronounce it, or Haroset. For some reason, in Hebrew, some words, I, as I was growing up, they taught me a lot of words that ended with an S sound, but for some reason, now they end in a T sound. It's the same thing, Herosis or Haroset. Did you convert uh, to Judaism just for the jokes? I mean, there are a lot of funny pronunciations. <laughs> there was a time a all comedians were Jewish. Uh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then even if you weren't Jewish, you felt like you were Jewish if you were doing comedy. You know, the old greats, most of them were Jewish. Milton Berle, who was my sponsor in the Friars Club. That's I, right. I date myself when I say that, but I love having Milton Berle be my sponsor was one of the greatest honors. Mr. Television. You know, he was Uncle the reason. Milty. Yeah, he was the reason that the reason they called him that was because people in this country actually bought televisions to watch his show, the wow. Texaco Star Theater. In the 1940s, TVs were new. People would line up in the street to watch television through the glass windows of the stores that sold them. And they would pile the TVs on top of each other and they'd play Milton's show and people would gather to watch. People are actually getting, they're throwing away their radios because of me. Uh, so I'm the opposite of <laughs> Milton Berle. Exactly. Uh, but speaking of the holidays, you have a, a book out. It's called Holiday Hilarity, a humorous history of celebration. Yes. Tell me about this book. You've written it, uh, you have a co-author on this I book. I do, right? and there's a very interesting part about Czech Easter that I want to tell you because oh, you won't believe that this exists. But I, I had it confirmed. Uh, it was presented to me to do a book about holidays because holidays are very special, uh, especially in times of sadness and Absolutely. stress that we're going through now. Holidays bring people together. And when you write about religious holidays, though, you have to be very careful. It's a humorous book about the holidays, but you always have to be careful that people don't think you're making fun of their holidays, that you're just adding a little humor to them, right? Like, uh, um, so. Well, you mentioned Czech Easter. Tell me about Czech Easter. Yeah, Czech Easter is unbelievable. In Czech Easter, they have days like it starts on a Wednesday, which they call Ugly Wednesday, <laughs> which was dedicated to Judas. And then they have um, – let, let me see. I have to refer to my notes because I don't remember okay. all yeah. of the story. But um, where did I write it down? Oh, 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 here it is. Green Thursday, where they eat only green vegetables to honor the Last Supper – which very often people say was actually a Passover Seder. Jesus was I've, Jewish. I've always heard that. Yeah. And it's so amazing what Jesus created. I mean, a religion that millions and millions of people follow. I hope he knows that somewhere, wherever he is, that he realizes the impact that he had. That's not a joke. Either. No, I know. I mean, I, I, absolutely. I it's amazing that one man could start a worldwide religion that so many people will be part of, one one man did that. That's just incredible. Uh, no, no doubt about it. I mean, and you talk, his bar mitzvah must have been quite a party. Can you imagine? I'm sure they never ran out of wine. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, he turned water into wine. And, you know, teenagers would love that. They say, Ma, we're not exactly. going to drink. We're just having water. Exactly. Jesus is coming. <laughs> not tonight. He's not. Don't let him in here. Right? <laughs> Turning water into wine and loaves of bread. Right? He fed thousands of people with five loaves of bread, I think, and two fish. Right. 
the portions must have been very small, though. Can you imagine? <laughs> they never tell you how big those portions were. So um, let me see. Oh, so then they have uh, White Saturday. Men and boys go from house to house with an instrument that makes an annoying noise, waiting for them to tell for the people in the house to tell them to stop. They give them money and to make them true? stop. This, this is, true? is true. Wow. So on Easter Sunday, the, the girls color eggs. Wait till you hear this. The men and the boys make whips out of pussy willow branches to whip the women and the girls. This is true. This is in the Czech Republic? Yeah. Last week, I went to a wedding, and the guy sitting next to me was from the Czech Republic. Oh, and boy. I said to him, is this true? He, go- he laughed because it's absolutely true. On Easter Monday is what they call, instead of Easter Sunday, they have Easter Monday. So it would be today, basically. The men and the boys go from house to house whipping the girls and the women with these pussy willow branches in exchange for candy and plum brandy. And the men get so drunk that the, the wives have to look for their husbands and they find them laying in the road. Oh, my. And my co-author was from the Czech Republic and she's the one that told me these stories. But I didn't get confirmation until I was sitting at that wedding last week, and the guy next to me happened to be from there and confirmed it. Isn't that amazing? What are some other funny holiday uh, stories or traditions that people will find in the book, Holiday Hilarity? Well, the reason— And they can get the book at uh, ComedyMattersTV.com. No, they can get the book on Amazon. Oh, Amazon. Yeah, okay. I don't sell books through my website. All these books—my my, uh, my whole happiness series is available through Amazon. Got it. But— um, the reason why the British lost the Revolutionary War, because they had a fife and drum corps. How can you go into battle beating <laughs> on drums? How are you going to sneak up on anybody playing, <laughs> playing a drum, right? They had to lose. There was no question. that they. And uh, who was the first man to send a Valentine's Day card? The, King Henry VIII. This is a very right? interesting is it, story. Or is it Valentine, the priest, the Roman priest? There was a Roman priest in the third century under Emperor Claudius, Claudius I. There was a saint named Valentine, and the emperor made a law that no young men could get married anymore, only older men, because once young men got married, they didn't make good soldiers because they were afraid of getting killed. Sure, I can understand that. So he outlawed marriage, but St. Valentine didn't go for it, and he kept marrying people. They put him in prison, and they were going to kill him, which they eventually did. And while he was in prison, the jailer's daughter came to visit him a lot, and he sent her a thank you card, and he signed it from your Valentine. That's wonderful. That's and that's wonderful. the world's first Valentine's Day card. I researched this book a lot. It's not just filled with jokes. It's filled with real facts that's great. about how our most important holidays got started. There were 13 holidays in there. So, I mean, uh, obviously, we have uh, Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving. Do you know what they, eat, what they ate at the very first Thanksgiving dinner? Was it, was it wild boar? Venison. Venison. There okay. was no turkey, no potatoes. In those days, they ate venison, and it was the pilgrims and the Wampanoag Indians. I hope there was at least the artificial cranberry sauce that retained had, no, the shape they, of the can no, no cranberry sauce. <laughs> after you, after you, uh, you d- d- plop it out there. And the party went on for three days because nobody knows this. The pilgrims were great dancers. Uh, well, with, with given what they're consuming, that they to work off all that venison. I can understand that. Which would have been a great story for my book, Man Rob's Bank with His Chin, 
how the Pilgrims were great dancers. Hardly anybody knows that the Pilgrims were great dancers. I, I had no idea. They used to sway first. They, you know, like people did in the 1940s. In the 1940s, when people heard the national anthem, they would just naturally start swaying back and forth, which is a very interesting uh, way to react to music. In terms of uh, the other holidays here, I mean, what? Yeah. Are, I mean, I don't even know that I can name 13. Well, I mean, I'm sure Father's I could. Day. Ah, now, right, right, Father's right. Day is interesting because Mother's Day started in 1908, but nobody wanted Father's Day. And I thought that was really interesting. It took them two years to pass a law making Father's Day a national holiday because in those days, men didn't want to be honored. They thought that it was not masculine to have a holiday where they would receive gifts. Plus, they had to pay for the gifts. So men didn't want it. Right. Now, I can and understand that. Father's Day didn't. Uh, and, and Father's Day, even to this day, until, hasn't really taken off the way Mother's Day has. No, absolutely not. You Mothers know. are always valued more the, uh, than, deservedly than fathers. So. Deservedly and so. as a father, you understand. Absolutely. Right? But it didn't start till 1910. Yeah. I, so, well, I believe that. So the other holidays, let me see if I could tell you. Do you which, have Flag Day in which there? Which they were. No. No. I did uh, New Year's Eve. New Year's Day, Easter, Passover, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Independence Day, Labor Day, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, and Christmas. I see. Okay. Well, uh, so it's, uh, there's one for so every There's occasion. like 13 holidays that I that – No, I, no so, nothing in there about Ramadan at all. No, no. no I didn't okay. do Ramadan. That will be in the next book. The, the sequel. The next sequel. Yeah, I have okay. to do a sequel. People, you know – um, but it's holiday hilarity, and I really did a lot of research. Oh, I can imagine. It's so interesting to really find out how a lot of these holidays started, you know, and and how they be, they became part of our lore that we do every year. And it's a wonderful thing that people celebrate. Yeah, no, uh, my wife was asking me just recently, why do, you know, why does Easter get so associated with a bunny rabbit and with eggs when bunnies don't lay eggs. So she said, exactly. wouldn't it make more sense to have an Easter chicken as opposed to a bunny rabbit? Now I can just get her this book instead of pretending that I know what I'm talking about while I look it up. Well, I'll tell you why. Easter was named for uh, a pagan goddess, believe it or not, whose name was Eastra, E-A-S-T-R-E. And the symbol, her symbol was a rabbit. Rabbits symbolized fertility. And because... Jesus was reborn, he was resurrected, it has to do with life. And so the early Teutonic tribes would give each other eggs, and eggs symbolized fertility and life. Do you know why Lent is called Lent? I don't, I don't know. And, because, and it's a very strange thing. It's, it's an odd word, Lent, right? right? 40 days of Lent, because it has to do with an old English word that meant lengthen. The days get longer. Oh, it happens in the spring. At the vernal equinox, and that's when Lent starts, and it takes you through. That's it. That makes sense. Through Easter Sunday and Ash Wednesday, and uh, it's a great book. All Forty I, days. I'm going to get a copy. Holiday hilarity. It's called. It's available on Amazon by Jeffrey Gurian. Right. Holiday hilarity. A humorous history of celebration. Wonderful. So it's all the stories of how the holidays got started with a little humor thrown uh, in. I think that's great. If you want to impress people at your next holiday function around the Thanksgiving table or the or the Passover Seder table or even the Ramadan table, this book is filled with anecdotes that you can share. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. We're going to take your calls with Jeffrey Gurian straight ahead. WABC. 
We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. here. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, you can learn more about uh, Jeffrey by going to ComedyMattersTV.com. If you're interested in the holiday hilarity book we've been talking about, you could find that uh, on Amazon, along with all his other books, if you just search his last name, G-U-R-I-A-N. He is one of many, many people who've made the transition from dentistry to comedy. Well, maybe not many. <laughs> One of the very few people that has made the co- the conversion from dentistry to comedy. He is the only person who has made the conversion <laughs> from dentistry to comedy. Uh, 800-848-9222. Eddie's in Manhattan. Hello there, Eddie. Question about uh, about Gilbert Gilbert Gottfried. Did Letterman like uh, Gilbert Gottfried? Did Letterman, Letterman like uh, Gilbert Gottfried? Yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Do you know, well, I, Jeffrey? I don't really have an well, idea. What would make you, you wonder that? Okay. What I saw, I was what Gilbert was on Letterman, and Gilbert had his closed eyes act. And then let, I heard Letterman say, well, he won't be here anymore. He sort of seemed to, he, on the air, he sort of like uh, pulled the rug out from under him. So that's what I saw. So you don't know anything about that. No, I really never heard that times, story. How many times was was Gilbert on Letterman? Do you have any? any I, th- I think you'd probably know better yeah, than me. No, I, I, you, you, we, we may have to have you <laughs> on to chronicle you. the uh, yeah. Letterman Godfrey feud. There, thank you, uh, Eddie. Excuse me, Gene is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Gene. Uh, good evening, Frank Morano and Jeffrey Gorian. I've Hi. listened to you all for a while, and thank you. I'm really laughing my head off. You're really funny. I just wanted to mention my brother used to be a com- uh, was a comedian and he worked the mountains all the time his name was mickey marvin does that ring a bell mickey marvin mickey marvin yes i knew him through dick capri from the catskills yeah. on broadway sure i knew yeah, mickey he, marvin he, he was your brother yes 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 he passed away his wife came down with alzheimer's disease and he couldn't work any longer and he he just stopped working, just like that. But he, I thought he was doing very good. He got started with from another comic, Corbett Monica. I don't know if you know, remember that name, Corbett Monica. Corbett Monica, sure, I know that name. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, Corbett, yeah Corbett Monica got him started. So uh, he worked the mountains. He, he did very, very well. He, I mean, he went to uh, a high school in the Bronx, Gompers High School, didn't get a thing out of it, so he decided that he's going to become a salesman. And in the in the garment area, he was selling selling merchandise, you know, material and so forth. Schmata, it was a schmata. All right. All the, right, schma- and the schmata business. Well, in those days, you could make a living working the Catskills. Mm. That was when yeah, the well, Catskills was the Jewish Alps. They called it. It was a million hotels there where the comedians could perform. Yeah, and, yeah, he did very well. My name is Eugene Gene Perlman's my name. His name was Wanted Perlman, but. His stage name was Mickey Marvin. Mickey Marvin. Gene, thanks for the well, uh, stroll for down loss. memory lane. Thank you. Yes, sorry about that. 800-848-WABC. Mario is in Manhattan. Hello, Mario. Yes, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, am I at liberty to ask the gentleman about his condition? 
his condition? About about what condition? Yeah, about well, he has heart disease. I oh. wanted to inquire: is he allowed to do that or no? Yeah, yeah. Uh, am I allowed? I had a stent put in, and they I saved what me. I mean, yeah, yeah. I okay. had a stent put in, and uh, and yeah. uh, I've been tested recently, and thank God, I'm doing great. Wonderful. All right. Now, did they attribute, if I may ask, your uh, your heart disease condition now from a poor diet, or was that aggravation? No, or they had no case? idea. They had no idea where it came from. I had never been sick a day in my life. What they said was that you start building up plaque from the time yes. you're a child, and anything yes. could cause a piece of plaque to break off. And they have no idea I, so. what caused mine. But I was just very lucky. They said I was about 95% blocked. And, uh, Murray, we're going to send uh, wow. Jeffrey's chart over oh, to you. <laughs> we're going to fax it over now, uh, all of his medical records, over to Mario in Manhattan. Um, we're talking with Jeffrey Gurian. He's uh, author of many books. You know, I wasn't really joking. I think at the pace you're at now, you are writing books at a pace faster than I'm reading them. How many books have you written? Eight books. Eight, Eight books. I never thought I'd have even one book. You know, it was so crazy. My first book was based on my writings for the Friars Club, mm. and it was called Filthy, Funny, and Totally Offensive. And it, it was 250 celebrities who told me nasty jokes. And every Gilbert, of course, was in there. But, you know, I had the biggest stars. Even Elaine Stritch gave me a nasty joke. And uh, I wound up with eight books. But my last three books, to me, are the most important. The first five books were all on comedy. But the last three books are on happiness, and that's what people need right now. People need a different way of thinking. You know, I used these thoughts to, to cure myself of stuttering, and I'm always grateful that you let me talk about that in the past oh, because absolutely. a lot of stutterers don't know that they can be helped. And I have a, a, a website. If, you, if, out, if, you're, if you're listening out there and you know anybody who stutters or has a, a problem with that, you, uh, you can go to StopStutteringNowGurian.com, StopStutteringNowGurian.com, and there are testimonials and there's a lot of information on there. And, I, and now as an avocation, I work with stutterers all over the world to teach them my techniques of thought control because I realized one day I didn't stutter when I was alone. I only stuttered when I was trying to talk to somebody. Hmm. And I stuttered into my 30s even after I graduated from dental school. See, I, I just blocked on the D for the first time ever. Um, and uh, and I was able to cure myself. It took me years to do it, but it's about mind. That's wonderful. Because you can't have a disability based on your location. A man with a limp limps in every room of his house. Can't go into a room and close the door and walk perfectly. Right. If you're deaf, it doesn't matter what, where you are. Exactly. You're, st you're right. still deaf. But if I could speak without stuttering in a room by myself, then theoretically it means there's nothing wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And when I realize that, and I consider it grace, everything's grace. When I uh, realize that, I took my mind apart and I developed these techniques for changing your thoughts. The, the newest book in the Happiness series is Facing Adversity, Stories of Courage and Inspiration. I have read the book, and there are some very moving stories uh, in, this, uh, in this book. If people are looking for a little inspiration, this is a book you should definitely check out. It's called Facing Adversity. That's available as well on Amazon. Check it, check it out on, on there. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, especially given what's going on in the world now, uh, I can't think of uh, a better message than uh, than f overcoming uh, overcoming obstacles, obstacles and facing and, adversity. And adversity. People need hope and inspiration. We've been through so much in the last two and a half years. It's been overwhelming for a lot of people. Oh, that's for sure. And you yeah. have to fight to stay positive. Before uh, we let you go, 
you you mentioned attending dental school. They gave you a little bit of a hard time in dental school, didn't they? I was tortured. I was literally, you know, when I was 12 years old, I must have been a weird kid because I decided I wanted to be a dentist. I, I knew I wanted to be a doctor, but I knew I was too sensitive to handle <laughs> life and death. Right. And I'm like, dentistry sounds good. I was wearing braces at the time. I'm like, I'm going to be a dentist. Most 12-year-old kids have no idea what they want to be. They change their mind a million sure. times. And I was already writing comedy. So my whole life was that split. And I expected to be welcomed into dental school. I thought that they would welcome me. Instead, they treated me like it was a four-year fraternity hazing. They, they, Why did they have such an issue with you? I'll show you this picture, if you can see this. Can you hold this up so that the camera can see it? Yeah, and if people want to see to the, uh, the, the video of this uh, discussion uh, later, you can go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash MoranoFan, and I will share the uh, the video up there later. So I it looks like mustache. My, do, excuse me. Do you see how short my hair yeah. is there? No, no. I've never, okay. I don't even know this guy. Right. I was banned from dental school. They told me that my hair was too long by a guy with a Confederate flag in his office and a sign that said the South will rise again. Wow. And his partner, and he, he ran the most important department in the school, and I was not allowed to see patients for three weeks. Mm. And so before we run out of time, many decades later, before the pandemic, I get an email from the dean of this dental school asking to meet with me in New York to have lunch. And I hated the school so badly. Uh, they told me that I was a disgrace to the profession because I grew a mustache. Mm. Meanwhile, I graduated number 54 out of 126. My parents used to say to me, we'll, let you, we'll understand if you want to drop out because they were literally torturing me, humiliating me on a daily basis. The dean writes to me and asks to meet with me and I agree because I believe in confronting my uncomfortability. That's why I wrote this book, Fight the Fear, Overcoming Obstacles That Stand in Your Way. I thought that they were going to ask me for a donation. But instead, he brought another dean with him. They met me. They took me to a beautiful restaurant. And my idea was I was going to tell him how poorly I was treated in school. And as I started to tell my story, he interrupted me. And he said to me, I want you to know that those men were racist and anti-Semites. And they and you were treated the worst. Other people were also harassed, but you were treated the worst. And he knew my story. He read about me on the Internet. Hmm. And he said to me, you're one of the most accomplished graduates that we ever had. And he said, not just in comedy, but in dentistry as well. In, yeah. Uh, yeah, in everything. Yeah, I, I, I used to lecture on cosmetic dentistry. And I when I taught at NYU, I was a clinical professor for 12 years and I used to take away headaches with just the energy from my hands. And they let me lecture on that. And so um, he said to me that he wanted to send a car for me and bring me to Philadelphia so that I could tell the students there my story of how poorly I was treated because he, he wasn't the dean when I went. He changed the whole environment of the school, and it's a much kinder environment. Then the pandemic hit. So what he did was... He hired me to do a series of lectures to the doctors at Temple University on changing a thought. He, uh, he said he wanted me to speak on changing frustration to enjoyable and from hate to love. And he said to me, can you believe that this would ever happen? I said, in a million years, I could never guess that something that was so bad in your life could someday turn out to be something good. He also hired me to do a comedy show for the doctors for la last Christmas and they just contacted me again last week. The, now they want to send a car for me because the pandemic is basically over or manageable. 
They want me to come down and lecture to the students to tell them about my experience, how bad it was. So it just goes to show you that you never know. Mm. If I had turned down that lunch because I hated the school so much, I would have never had this kind of closure. And to hear him say to me, those guys were racist and anti-Semites and they singled you out. And I, 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 you know, I was literally tortured. They took away my self-confidence and self-esteem, wow. which is a terrible thing to do when you're 22 years old, you know, to attack somebody that way. When you learn to give injections, you know, everybody's afraid of getting an injection sure. in, in their mouth. When you learn, you have to learn on real patients. I was in the middle of giving someone an injection. The needle was in their gum. And this mean instructor came by and hit my elbow. Oh, my. And said, put it in further, like that. These days, if someone did that, they would be arrested for assault. Oh, no, I, I can understand that. Absolutely. And that's, how, and that's how I was treated for the whole four years when my hair was this short. My, my goodness. Right? And I was banned from clinic for three weeks. They tried to keep me from seeing patients so that I couldn't graduate. And I worked extra hard to make up for the time. So anyway, that's the story. Jeffrey, and it's, in, it's in my book, Fight the Fear. Uh, our time together always seems to fly by. Let's do this again soon. Okay? I hope so, Frank. I love being on with M you. Same here. Uh, check Jeffrey out, ComedyMattersTV.com. Just search Jeffrey Gurian on Amazon. Uh, Jeffrey's a, an incredible uh, performer, and uh, he's going to do some ups upcoming comedy shows soon, too, that we'll tell you about. Uh, by the way, Jeffrey, we did send you uh, an Uber on the way here. Uh, I wasn't sure if I should tip the driver or not. How was the driver on the way here? Uh, he, he was great, and he spoke some weird African oh, language that he right, told me. All right, that. we'll give him a couple of bucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Hey, still to come, um, should you get a settlement if your employer gives your birthday away? We'll explore it. Till then, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Uh, my thanks to Jeffrey Gurian. Uh, by the way, a couple of people said they didn't get to write down that stuttering website quickly enough. If you know someone that is uh, a stutterer and um, want to get them some help, or if this applies to you, you can go to the website StopStutteringNowGurian.com. That's StopStutteringNowGurian.com. So we got an action-packed show uh, still to come. You know, it is Easter, and at least I always try to be my most pious whenever it's uh, whenever it is Easter. So coming up in about uh, twenty minutes, we're going to talk with a Franciscan brother. About brother David Miglari, David Migliarino. See, I went from working on my Jewish pronunciations to now I have to go back to my natural habitat of Italian. Uh, brother David Migliarino is a Franciscan brother and the principal of St. Anthony's High School out on Long Island. He's going to join us. And then Scott Barry Kaufman is a fascinating guy. He's a cognitive scientist, an author, a podcaster, a popular science writer, and he's someone who I've been a fan of for uh, a long time. And he's going to be here. We'll get into this. Now, if you listen to this show, you know that I don't say when my birthday is. I, I just, it's a variety of reasons, but mainly. I don't want anyone knowing when my birthday is. 
uh, you know, my brother and I have the same birthday, so we both know. My, my, my wife has a mild idea of when my birthday is. I don't like to make it a big thing. I I find it very embarrassing to be honest. I don't like to I don't like to do it anything on my birthday. My perfect birthday is and I know maybe this is kind of unhealthy. Maybe this is my pathology. My perfect birthday is being able to get through the entire day without anyone saying happy birthday. And whatever, you could think that's crazy, you could think that's sane. That's my thing. And apparently, Kevin Burling is a kindred spirit. Listen to this story. He is, he's a Kentucky man with an anxiety disorder. Now, I wouldn't say that I have an anxiety disorder, but, and you wouldn't think this, but I do suffer from anxiety often, 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 often. When I was, when I'm in a small group, whether it's a meeting at work, whether it be when it was in college, when it, w- whatever the case may be, a political function, my least favorite aspect of – when I say small group, it's 30 or 40 people – is when everyone goes around the room to say who they are and why they're there. That is my least favorite thing. That's why I never really would feel comfortable joining – um, Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't like that beginning. Oh, hi, I'm Frank. I'm an alcoholic, yada, yada, yada. I'm not belittling it. It's just, it's not for me. I get so much anxiety. I could talk to 100,000 people, big crowd of 100,000 people, no problem. Go on television, speak to millions of people, no problem. But to talk with a small group where they're all focused on me, don't like it. So I don't know that I have an anxiety disorder, but I do have anxiety. Not like this guy, though. So this fella... Kevin Burling asked his employer not to celebrate his birthday because it would trigger a panic attack. So when the company Gravity Diagnostics ignored Kevin Burling's request and had a surprise lunchtime celebration for him. Now, they didn't rent a hall. They just basically in the cafeteria at lunchtime. They said, surprise, happy birthday. They had some cake. On August 7, 2019, he got upset. And days later, Burling was fired, according to this lawsuit that he filed against the company in county court in Kentucky. So before I tell you what happened with this lawsuit, what do you think? Do you think this guy has a case? Do you think that telling your employer you don't want to celebrate your birthday and they celebrate it anyway, do you think, and if you get upset, that that's grounds for a lawsuit? What Say you. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, I want to hear your answers. I'm going to tell you what happened here. Um, Matt Blaze, what's your take on this story? So the guy doesn't want his birthday known, doesn't want to do anything. They have a surprise party for him at lunch. He gets really upset, lets his employer know he's upset. They fire him. Does he have a lawsuit? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%.
Absolutely. 100%. I, and, and Molly, do you agree? No, she doesn't have headphones. Never mind. All right. We'll let Molly go. All right. Um, well, you would get along just fine in Kentucky because on March 31st, a jury awarded him $450,000. The jury found that Burling suffered an adverse employment action because of his anxiety disability. So this saga began in August 2019 when Burling told his office manager that he did not want to celebrate his birthday because it would trigger a panic attack. The company has a practice of having birthday celebrations at the office for employees. However, the company surprised him on his birthday with a celebration in the lunchroom. Now, I get where the company's coming from. It sounds like a fun place to work. They want a convivial atmosphere. They like celebrating the employees. They like recognizing their employees. We do that here to some extent. We had a cake for Molly's birthday. Um, The company surprised him with this celebration in the lunchroom. He had a panic attack, according to the lawsuit. He quickly left, finished the rest of his lunch in his car, and then texted his manager upset that the company failed to accommodate his request. A day after the celebration, Burling was called into a meeting where he was confronted and criticized for his reaction. The confrontation triggered another panic attack, according to the lawsuit. Usually I've seen the plaintiff's side of events. It's not always 100% accurate, but let's assume it's mostly accurate because that's what the jury found. At the conclusion of this meeting, and because plaintiff had a panic attack, plaintiff was sent home from work for the remainder of August 8th and August 9th. On August 11th, he was sent a letter telling him he was being terminated because of the events of the previous week. That's a quote in the lawsuit. Burling sued alleging discrimination, um, disability discrimination and retaliation. Gravity Diagnostics did not immediately respond to a request for uh, comment. So the founder and CEO, Julie Brazil, told the Northern Kentucky News website that Burling was terminated for violating a workplace violence policy. So... Um, I'm sure there are two sides to this, but I don't know. I I think $450,000 is certainly a lot. Uh, I mean, maybe an apology, maybe whatever wages you lost there. I I could see this guy having a case. I, I just wonder, I'm curious if you agree with Matt that this was the right decision that the jury reached. Or do you think this is another case of society just becoming too litigious where we have just gotten out of control with these lawsuits? And tell me what you think, because I think this is an interesting case. And I'm curious to see if it's upheld on appeal. Um, 800-848-9222. That's one 800 848-WABC, and tell me what you think about this situation. I think it's pretty interesting, Um, but, you know, maybe you'd think differently. So the CEO said there had been an increase in incidents of workplace violence 
She told this news site, my employees de-escalated the situation to get the plaintiff out of the building as quickly as possible while removing his access to the building, alerting me, the CEO speaking, and sending out security reminders. Look, we weren't there. We don't know what happened. Uh, Tony Butcher, an attorney for Burling, said his client posed no threat. Look, so they're telling two very different stories. She's saying there was an incident of violence and he was a security threat. He's saying the reprimand from his text message caused another panic attack and he sued. The jury found for him. I would never sue. I mean, look, if somebody celebrate, people have celebrated my birthday against my wishes. When I used to work with Joe Piscopo, he used to make a big thing about my birthday, even when I'd tell him not to. And uh, and I'd ask him, please don't. But he insisted on doing it. Now, I didn't like it, but I wasn't going to sue over it. That again, Then again, I don't have the kind of anxiety disorder that Kevin Burling is talking about. What do you think? 800-848-9222. Linda is on Long Island. Hello, Linda. Hi, Frank. Uh, is the company, or do you know if the company is appealing it? It was a jury verdict, and it was much too much for that. Um, did the company know so, they had the, um, the problem? I mean, it, it doesn't sound right. So it doesn't sound right. I In no. the articles that I've seen here, I it doesn't say if there's an appeal that is pending. I would imagine that there is, uh, because if they had agreed to the same facts then I think there probably would have been a settlement on this and there was no settlement. So it tells me that his employer, they were willing to to fight this. And I would assume they are going to continue with an appeal, but I'll I'll continue looking. Right. It's too much. All right, Linda. One vote says it's too much. Chris in Mount Vernon. Hello, Chris. Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely too much. I mean, depends. I mean, did did he, did he like, Actually, I don't it, like. Did he flip out and flip everybody the bird and curse everybody out on the way out of the room? I mean, you know, then he should have just. I mean, then I say it's called for that they fired him and everything. You know what I mean? Well, it, it sounds like he, he definitely did something. It sounds like, and I, now I don't know what the what the something is, but it sounds like he threw a fit. It sounds like he got yeah, upset like I, and threw a fit. I don't think he just. I don't think he just huffed and puffed and like like ran out of the no, room. No, he, he probably, probably was yelling. He probably was 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 screaming. He was probably carrying on, and yep. it sounds like he threw a fit. So it sounds like you don't think he should have gotten any money. No, I don't. I don't think so. Huh. All right. Well, uh, all right, Chris. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Bob is in Long Beach. Hello, Bob. Yeah. Uh, how you doing? Look, here's the thing. Don't you think somebody has an inkling that this guy in his past was a mental case? I well, mean, he's not a mental case. Ha- having an anxiety disorder is not a mental case. I mean, you know. Well, I have an anxiety disorder, but I wouldn't have an anxiety disorder. I mean, what, for a, for a happy birthday gives you an anxiety disorder? Well, look. Uh, happy birthday? I know. Look, I know it, it may <laughs> not seem triggering to you, Bob, but this guy says it's triggering for him. I know. Well, there's a lot of things to trigger, 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 trigger. I, you know, I don't like to watch war movies. You know what I mean? Because it triggers me. So I don't watch war movies. But I don't get, I don't get crazy if somebody would wish me. I don't know. To me, it's to me, no good deed will go unpunished. And, but the company, you know, it is money. But the company should know the labor laws. And 
they should know if somebody has an anxiety disorder, well, what will that anxiety order, what will bring it on? If, if a birthday party would bring it on, I don't think you're going to be a studio, a birthday party, a birthday, happy birthday, a piece of cake. If that's going to bring on an anxiety attack, then I don't think you should, you're, you're right for us. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Fair enough, Bob. Fair enough. So you. you don't think this guy should have gotten any money? Oh, no. He should have gotten money because they did the, they, they, you know, they, 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 they knew, they probably knew. I mean, I don't see how anybody could be like, what else would set him off? If a birthday, well, happy I, birthday. I, again, I, my, the totality of my knowledge about Kevin Burling's situation is what I've spent 40 seconds reading right. in a news article. Right. So I couldn't tell you, Bob. Right. So you got to wonder, you know, happy birthday got him from a sugar to, what, what, you know. You're right. You're right, Bob. Thank you. 800-848-9222. All right. The mics are out tonight. Let's begin with Michael in New Jersey. Hello, Michael. Yeah, I have to disagree with you. I think this guy is mentally disturbed. He shouldn't get a penny. As a matter of fact, I think the company should tell him, if you don't get out of our face, we'll sue you because you're crazy, you're a lunatic, and we don't want to be bothered with you. Well, what does it say, do you think, given that that's your view, what does it say that a jury decided to award him $450,000? I think the jury is out of their mind. I wouldn't have given him a penny, not one cent. They would have weeded you right off that jury, Michael, right no, off that no, jury. Well, they wouldn't because they, you're not allowed to ask. I would no, I, know. I can't I'm make kidding. a decision until I hear the case. Once right. I'm in it the makes jury sense. room, of course. it's of course. too late. You, you can't say, what is, what is your determination? No, I, I understand case. that. I, I've been a grand juror as well. I understand that. Not to be out Mike, we have Mike in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Mike. Yeah, no, I, I'm just, uh, this guy shouldn't get a penny. I should grow up. Really? Okay. So I mean, he's got. Oh, come on, give me a break. You gotta be. You gotta be. These jurors must be out of their minds too. What? The guy had a birthday party. What is he? Nine years old? Yeah. No, I, I'm look, sorry. I, I, I hear totally you, Mike. Mike, I, thank you. I, I think four hundred and fifty thousand dollars is excessive. But look, he specifically asked for a very simple accommodation. Don't throw me a birthday party. It would have required. No effort for the company to just respond to his wishes. Did they tell the the employee when he was hired? They said, no, well, sorry, you don't want a birthday party? We're going to force you to have a birthday party. No, they didn't tell him that. So I, I don't blame him for being upset. Now, he didn't handle this the way I would handle it. But look, it sounds like he does have some sort of anxiety disorder. What do you think? So, uh, so far, the consensus seems to be among our listeners that this jury may have erred here. What do you think? 800-848-9222. Gina is in Brooklyn. Hello, Gina. (laughs) Hi, Frank. Frank, I think that the company should have respected his wishes because there's endless possibilities why he doesn't want to celebrate his birthday. And you can't, you know, second guess adults. If an adult tells you, please don't celebrate right. my birthday, you shouldn't exactly. celebrate your birthday. Exactly. It's disrespectful. Yeah. And uh, he, might, he might have been violated as a child and felt deeply disrespected. And that kind of thing could, tri- excuse me, trigger an emotional disturbance. And it might not be ongoing, but at the same time, it might be hard for him to get another job because he got fired from his last job. 
and he might need that money. Well, also, I mean, who cares what his reasons are? I mean, he doesn't owe the employer an explanation of why he doesn't want to celebrate his birthday. He just doesn't want it celebrated. You're right. That's right. Uh, Gina, thanks for the call. 800-848-WABC. Roland, Roland, Roland is in Pennsylvania. Hello, Roland. Yes, hello. Hello. I disagree with most of the callers there. I think he should have sued. And I'm I, I'm sorry that he didn't win mo- more money. We, well, four hundred fifty thousand dollars is a lot of money. Yeah. It's a lot more than uh, I'm making in a uh, year. Uh, uh, that's a subjective terminology. A lot of money to whom? Well, to me, it's a lot of money. Well, <laughs> it's, yeah, well, yeah, I think it's a lot of money to most case. people. Yeah, but you are not bringing the case. Here's the thing: he asked his employer, "Do not reveal his personal information by celebrating his birthday." His birthday is part of his file. It's his personal information. And if he requests that his employer not divulge that by giving him a birthday, then the employer is supposed to respect that. Uh, Roland, personal thing. Uh, so, uh, so far, I think, so, so far we've had people who say that the jury was wrong. Uh, we've had people that said, uh, my view is basically that he should have, that he had some merit to his claim. I think $450,000 is very generous. You're saying he should have gotten even more. I believe so. Wow. Who are we to decide what damage this? Well, we're, this, I, I mean, this uh, well, we're, we're jurors. In this scenario, we're radio jurors. We're, we're, I'm asking you to put yourself in the, in the jury's position here. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. We're going to talk with Brother David Migliorino in just a few minutes about Easter education, a few other issues. Tom's in Brooklyn. Hello, Tom. Hey, Frank. How are you? My um, my contention is if he asked his manager not to do this, he should have he cool. should have respected him. And I do believe that he is entitled to some um, compensation because they fired him. The problem is, um, who is it determined? The jury doesn't determine that he got $450,000. That would be the judge. No, you know? no, no, no. Well, the, the judge can put a, I mean, different states have different laws, but my understanding is the jury can award compensatory and punitive damages. If they come up with an amount that's way out of whack, uh, then the judge can limit the award. But no, the judge, the jury is making the determination of the award amount. Interesting, interesting. I didn't know that. Anyway, I I don't know if four hundred fifty thousand dollars is a lot uh, or too much. I I believe that uh, everybody should have their fair day in court, and he got it, and he he won his award, and should be that. It, indeed, Joe. Th- uh, indeed, Tom. Thank you. Uh, we'll go to Joe in Ronkonkoma before we get to Brother David. Hello, Joe. Hey, happy Easter, Frank. Likewise, uh, likewise. Really- Hope you did something fun. Uh, Oh, well, we just had a relaxing uh, time at home. Uh, this whole thing is ridiculous. With the suing, uh, you know, I, I find it ridiculous. I was telling Molly, you know, uh, just let it go. You know, just let it go. But um, like I said, um, I had the same incident, by the way, happened to me over the weekend with uh, the board op again. Uh, the phone must have rang, Frank, 20 times, disconnected, and then I was put on hold. And they never, ever said anything. And they hung huh. up on me. What show were you calling? So, uh, was it Curtis? Curtis. Yeah, Curtis. Chance, I mean, uh, chances are he's every show on the weekend. So. Uh, yeah. Well, again, I wish you a very happy Easter. And uh, I'll talk to you during the week. All right, bye. Thank you, Joe. 
800-848-WABC. I want to encourage you, by the way, to join our Facebook group. Uh, just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. This discussion is going to continue on there. But you're welcome to comment on any aspect of the show. Charles, for instance, was just commenting on there. Oh, no, not that Gurian guy. I thought to myself, but I left it on anyway during my evening walk. And then he says, wow. What a great segment that was on so many levels. Kudos. So I appreciate Charles saying that because I think that goes to show you whatever your preconceived notions are about anything that we do on this show, you know what your attitude should be? Listen anyway. Maybe you like it. Maybe you don't. Here's the guarantee. It's always going to be something different. Always. Uh, For instance, some of you, if you're not Catholic, may not want to hear a discussion with a Franciscan brother in a minute. Tough. Listen anyway. That's my view. It's Easter. Cut us, give us Catholics some, some leeway here. All right. Uh, those of you that are holding, if you want to keep holding, I will get to you. Um, we're going to talk with Brother David Migliorino next about uh, Easter, Christianity, education. What is a brother exactly? We'll get into that as well as a few other things. 800-848-WABC on Twitter, at Frank Morano. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. Still to come, we have uh, we have a great, great cognitive scientist by the name of Scott Barry Kaufman that's going to be here. Is there any show where you can have a dentist turned comedian and then a, a, Franci- a Franciscan brother turned principal and then a cognitive scientist turned podcaster? You show me another show in America that can have this diversity of people that does not exist this is the other side of midnight i hope you had a fun easter or having a fun easter if your celebration's continuing uh straight ahead wabc this is the other side of midnight with frank morano 77 wabc This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, for a lot of us, while the calendar may say Monday, it still very much feels like Sunday. Truth be told, if you haven't yet gone to bed, then it's still Sunday for you, which means it is sort of still Easter for you. For the rest of us that had a nice Easter and have now started our Monday, it's the day after Easter. But What better time to look back at some things happening with respect to Jesus and all things God than Easter and the day after Easter? Who better to do it with than Brother David Anthony Migliorino of the Order of St. Francis? Now, in addition to being a brother, he is also the principal of St. Anthony's High School in Long Island. We're going to ask him a few questions about religion, about Easter, and about uh, what it's like dealing with education these days. Brother David, thanks so much for joining me. Happy Easter. You too. Happy Easter to you. And Easter's 50 days, so every day can be Easter for the next 50 days. The, oh, so uh, educate me on that. You are an educator. So uh, the Easter celebration after Lent ends goes for 50 days? Up until Pentecost, until the birth of... Ah, okay, great. So it's happy Easter for the next 50 days. All the, uh, all the better. What exactly is the Order of St. Francis? Fiskin Brothers... And we follow the rule given to us by our founder, St. Francis. St. Francis was a 13th century 
uh, gentleman who gave up all because he wanted to follow Jesus and uh, his love of poverty, his love of the poor, his love of nature and his fellow man, but more importantly, his love of the Eucharist really empowered him to uh, give up everything to follow Christ. And, uh, you know, St. Francis received the stigmata, the, the wounds of Christ. So during Holy Week, I, you know, we all can think about that a lot, that Francis was very close to Christ. And so Christ himself imparted the stigmata on St. Francis. And there have been others who have received this gift as well. The stigmata has always been something that uh, has been somewhat controversial. I, I know even Padre Pio was probably mm. one of the most famous people other than St. Francis to uh, receive the stigmata. A lot of people have questioned the authenticity of that, but there's no doubt in your mind that St. Francis and others did indeed experience that stigmata. No, absolutely no doubt. Absol- and you, know, and pa- you, you mentioned Padre Pio. Uh, he's the most famous you know, in, in our lifetime, you know, uh, as much as I love St. Francis, I was not in that. I was not a contemporary. I, I can say I, I read, I knew, I saw Padre Pio. So uh, how blessed so many of us to have witnessed that. I, I think a lot of people are who are lay Catholics and who go to church on a regular or even semi-regular basis, they're very familiar with what a priest is. They're used to addressing people as as father. Brother is a term that uh, they may be a little less familiar with. What's sure. a brother? When you're a Franciscan brother, what is that and how is that different exactly than a priest? Well, very simply... A, a priest is ordained for, and, and has a sacramental ministry. Uh, our vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience are, are vows, and we live in common with other brothers, and we do apostolic work. So for, for me, my apostolic work would be as an educator. I happen to be the principal, as you mentioned now, but I have been a lifelong teacher, and I'm still teaching in, in many, many ways. So a brother lives in community. We do not celebrate the sacraments. We attend church, obviously. We, we receive all the sacraments, but our life is evangelical. We follow the, the gospel message as closely as possible, and we take three vows, that of poverty, chastity and obedience so uh, you have to take some of those same same vows that priests do including the one that is very very challenging chastity even though you don't get to do things like uh hear confession or correct. or correct or the other sacraments and that, that would be correct does. that would be correct That's... and i have to be honest for me the toughest vow is obedience because you surrender your will to the will of of the superior who acts in the presence of God for you and says, we feel you need to move to this ministry. We feel you need need to do this. So obedience can be very difficult, but it's a very, um, it's a surrendering vow, and it gives me great life. What made you choose to become a Franciscan brother? Um, the exam, um, I had the Sisters of Charity in elementary school and the Christian Brothers of Ireland in high school. So I knew I was being called to um, a, a life of either a priest or a brother, because I, I, I was, I couldn't be a sister. But 
it, it was in college when I began to discern, and uh, I saw the Franciscan way of life as something that I wanted to become part of. And to be very honest, every time I was in their presence, I felt the joy and the happiness. You know, in the similar way that my mom and dad found their joy and happiness in loving each other, I, I saw that in the brothers. And so I inquired, I asked, I knocked on the door, as you will, and the rest is history. A lot of folks may have seen uh, Franciscan uh, brothers around town or uh, at a baseball game or in any number of any number of places and the wardrobe uh, that a Franciscan brother wears is uh, very unique it doesn't look like a priest it doesn't look like a deacon or a reverend it almost uh, that a lot of folks may recognize as being uh, sort of like what Friar Tuck used to wear exactly correct because Friar Tuck was a Franciscan exactly correct what is the significance of that type of wardrobe? And do you wear that every day? I do. I do. Uh, it, it was the clothes of the day. It was the poor clothes of the day in Francis's time. And so he just put on a tunic and, you know, and, and the, capu- the capuch or the hat, you know, the hood is on us. And he tied himself with a rope that had three knots and the knots symbolized the vows. Poverty, chastity, and obedience. Some Franciscans wear brown, some gray, some black. Our congregation has, is a black habit. But like the Graymore Friars are in gray. There are Capuchins that wear gray or black. The, the Orders of Friar Minor, they, they are brown. But the Franciscan brothers are not monks, are they? N- no, we are not. Monks live in a monastery. We are called friars. Now, the kids, the kids always say, oh, I, I want to be a monk. I think it's, it's a common term, like, just as there are nuns that are cloistered and sisters that are do apostolic work, it, it's, it's the common term most people would use, monks, nuns, priests, things like but that. But w- would I refer to you uh, as, could I refer to you as friar, David? As oh, well? you could, you're sure. Okay. But we never use that. You know, our school mascot is the friars because Franciscan friars. But, but to be very honest, we are brothers. And uh, I love being called Brother David. You know, I, I always tell the students this. I am an only child. I had an older brother who died in ch- childbirth, and I n- never had the opportunity to meet him. So I always wanted to have a brother or a sister, and I always wanted to be someone's brother. So when the choice began where I should, what path I should walk down, it was a no brainer for me. I wanted to be called brother. If people are just tuning in on this Easter Sunday into Monday, uh, we're talking with Brother David Anthony Migliorino. He is the principal of St. Anthony's High School out on Long Island. Now, I know St. Francis was a, a Jesuit. Does that mean all of the uh, all of the Franciscan brothers adhere to a, a Jesuit order or Jesuit philosophy? Absolutely not. And Francis was not a Jesuit. Ah, thank you. I stand corrected. He was not a Jesuit. Uh, His rule, which is our rule, is life on the Gospels. So, you know, when he went to the Holy Father 
and begged for a rule, the Holy Father said to him, the Pope at that time said, there are Benedictines, follow that rule. And he said, well, what rule will you follow? And Francis opened the gospel three times, and that became our rule, poverty, chastity, obedience. What does a Franciscan brother do on Easter? Well, we celebrate Holy Saturday, you know, the Easter Vigil Liturgy, we, uh, which is a beautiful liturgy. It, I would say it's one of the hallmark liturgies of the Church. And then on Easter Sunday itself, we gather together, we celebrate the Resurrection, we have a big meal. Some of us will go visit our own um, families, others will stay in the house together with the congregation and enjoy one another's company, just like a family would go and visit their family. Mm. And other brothers, in in fact, other brothers came to our home here at St. Anthony's yesterday for a big feast day meal. Were you pleased when uh, the current pope took the name Francis? Oh, my Lord, yes. (laughs) Oh, my Lord, yes. Because, you know, um, in fact, the, the story goes that one of the uh, other cardinals, when uh, Francis was elected, said, remember the poor, and thus he took the name Francis. Interesting, interesting. Wow. Um, let, let me ask you a little bit about your role as a principal at, uh, at St. Anthony's. We've seen these last uh, two and a half, three years be very trying for schools all over our area. And uh, a lot of the Catholic schools seem to have gotten much better reviews from parents than a lot of the public schools. A lot of public school parents I know who were frustrated at no in-person education ended up sending their children to Catholic schools because uh, the Catholic schools were much more likely to have in-person education a lot earlier. And you didn't see these outbreaks of, uh, of COVID in these Correct. schools that had, uh, had in-person learning. What did you guys do over at St. Anthony's? Well, when, when that horrible day in March came that we were all had to shut down, we began working right away right away that weekend to see what we could do. So as the state closed the schools, we began remote learning that Tuesday. The schools were closed on March 11th, and that following Tuesday, we opened remote learning. So everything was online, and we did not miss a beat. When that following September came, we opened in person, and I would say 80% of our school came back to school. And now 20% still sought education online, which I have to be honest, I do not think works well. Mm. You need the one-to-one. You need that connection. The, the students need to be with other students. They need to laugh, be silly. They need to have the pep rally and all of those things that make high school so special. And they need that interpersonal relationship with their teachers. And, you know, I always tell our our faculty, staff, students, and parents, it's a, it's a recipe. Parents teachers and students. That's the recipe for success. We all have to work together. And if one of us fails, 
the recipe, the product doesn't turn out good. You can't make a cake without flour, you know, so you have to have that recipe. So I'm very happy to say we went right back to business the the fall of 20 to 21, and we have been in business all year. They've been on an occasion, now not this year, but last year on occasion when we, you know, after our Christmas break, we extended things one or two days just to make sure that there would be no outbreak of COVID in the building, et cetera. And I can honestly say in recent months, we have had virtually no outbreak, possibly a child here and there, but nothing, nothing so severe. Wonderful. As as was as was predicted. Did you see a surge of people wanting to go to St. Anthony's because yes. you were you did? Yes, we did. Pe- people inquired and we those we could accommodate, we took. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I would say most Catholic elementary schools, most Catholic high schools did see that surge. We um, we're talking with uh, brother David Anthony Migliorino, principal of uh, St. Anthony's High School. I've heard they have uh, a pretty good football team at St. Anthony's. Is that accurate? <laughs> There's a lot. Yes, they have a very good football team, an excellent lacrosse team. And uh, most of our teams are really do very, very well. And all of our extracurricular activities do very well. We have a magnificent music program, a theater program, and we're really good in academics. So. I'm very proud of the school. And what did you guys end up doing when it came to masking? In New York public schools, even when kids went back, they and the teachers largely had to wear masks. Did you have similar restrictions? We followed the state guidelines and we wore masks in the school building. The only time that a mask could come off was when they were eating or during a free period where they could be socially distant. Uh, the minute we were told the masks could come off, the masks have come off. Some students have still chosen to wear, to wear the masks, and that's perfectly acceptable. A few teachers have maintained mask wearing, not full-time, but when they're in large gatherings, and uh, that's perfectly acceptable. You're a Franciscan brother, but you're also Italian, and I know in, I'm very Italian. <laughs> in, in my family, the, the Easter meal is, is a very big deal, I, and I've always been something of, uh, of an apostate cuisine-wise because <laughs> I, I am not crazy about lamb. And uh, especially Gabatiel, the 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 head of the lamb. I'm curious where you come down on the on the lamb issue, and if you have some other favorite type of Easter cuisine. Um, I, I, I like I, I like pizza rustica, you know the Easter pie. Oh, sure, I, sure. I, I, I do like that. Uh, of course, my family we all and yesterday as well. We had a big Italian meal with meatballs, sausage, brujol. There, there was some lamb. We did not eat the head of the lamb, no. But we ate everything else, antipasta, you know, pizza rustica, pizza grande, all, all of that was, was there. Uh, I love the Eastern, I love any Italian meal. So, you know, uh, it, this, is not a, this is not rocket science for me. I love Italian food I, I, it, because it brings the family together. You know, I can remember as a kid, my folks would say, oh, we were on the table for 11 hours, and we're now, meaning sitting around the table, laughing and joking with family. And, and that's what 
So that's what the resurrection's about. Jesus is, the promise has been fulfilled. Jesus has redeemed us. This is a time to celebrate. And St. Francis loved to celebrate. I, I uh, That's what I've heard from uh, another Franciscan brother who I'm a big fan of, a friend of mine, a big listener to this show, Brother Greg, who uh, was yes. kind enough to connect us. So I want to give him a shout out. Oh, he's a great guy. A oh, wonderful man. Certainly is. And uh, I'm hoping he can get all the Franciscan brothers to listen to this show on a, on a regular <laughs> basis. Uh, you know, you mentioned the difficulty that you might have with the uh, the vow of obedience from time to time, and that could involve uh, being transferred to different places. Before you were the principal in St. Anthony's, you were an educator out in uh, Missouri at Cape, yes. Cape Girardeau. That's um, correct. I was there 20 years. Wow. And I loved every minute of it. Tell me the culturally or academically, what are the key differences between being an educator in Missouri versus New York? Well, um, in Missouri, the state it's, itself, the state of Missouri, there is no aid to parochial schools. So that's one big difference. Um, Missouri, uh, where I was in Cape Girardeau, it was a college town, mm. but it was a rural community. So you dealt with, you know, college professors' children. You dealt with farmers. You dealt with factory workers. You dealt with all types similar to that of St. Anthony's. Now, there are no farmers here, but similar to that of St. Anthony's. It was a, a, a wide, uh, you know, a microcosm of Missouri. Uh, St. Anthony's would be a microcosm of, of the state of New York. Um, what I, a big difference would have been the size of the school. Uh, Notre Dame, where I was, was 520 students. St. Anthony's, we have 2,300 students. So that's faculties, you know, are three times the size as they were in Missouri. Uh, I, I found, you know, kids are kids. Kids are the same all over. They have wonderful craziness and sometimes they do sometimes mm-hmm. they make poor choices so you have to work with kids and um, i did find in missouri family life was very st- uh, structured and very uh, supportive there are a lot of family values um, similar to, to new york when, when i was growing up and similar to the way new york is now but People are people, and 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 they and they love to be educated. They want to learn. They want to pray. They want to play. So, I would say it was similar. The, the big difference for me would have been the size of the school. And you know who was from Cape Girardeau? Oh, I do know. <laughs> A very famous radio Rush. talk show host, Rush Limbaugh. That's right. Yes, I do and his know. brother David, who's uh, that is correct. still a uh, a terrific author. L- lastly, let me end with this. A couple of weeks ago, we did a segment on the radio where we talked about priests who were known for things other than priests. I mentioned, um, uh, you know, the f- famous, very controversial radio talk show host priest in the, at the time of World War II, Father Coughlin. I talked about Father Louis Giganti, who was a city council member and whose, whose uh, brother was a prominent gangster. We talked about some other people that were former priests, like John McLaughlin, went on to work in the Nixon White House and then host a uh, host a public affairs show, uh, and a a number of others, uh, Father Malachi Martin, a number of other people. I'm curious, uh, do you have any priests or brothers that you can think of that were known for things 
other than their vows to their religion that might have been uh, authors, actors, commentators? And, and can you name one or two? Oh, sure. Um, one of our brothers who's now deceased, Brother Jonathan Ringcamp, was a playwright. He, he produced and worked at so many mm. things on, on Off-Broadway. Uh, a former brother of ours, Brother Miles Davis, started the Bravo, which is the Bay Ridge Ambulance, Volunteer Ambulance Organization, and that still is going in Bay, in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn today. Uh, some of our, you know, our legendary brothers, Brother Urban, the um, one of the presidents of St. Francis College, who moved the college and, and made it a great institution that it still is today. Uh, you know, I could go, I could go on and on. Uh, some of my own, my parish priest, Monsignor Farica, was a real uh, way ahead of his time. Like a social worker would visit the poor, and um, you know, and, and I would go with him as a, as a young altar boy. He took five or six altar boys every Saturday with him, and you would visit the poor. And as he left their house. He would open his wallet and throw money on the table and say, now make sure you pay that rent. Make sure you pay that electric bill. Uh, those were things that, you know, we always see the priest in sacramental ministry. Those are things that are, are incredible. And, and some of our, our present clergy, uh, Cardinal Dolan, reminds me very much of my pastor, Monsignor Farica, very vivacious and outgoing and out there and, and doing doing great things. So. Uh, that is for sure. Well, uh, I enjoyed this a great deal, and uh, I hope we can do this again in the future. Oh, I'd love to. Thank you so much for inviting me and asking me. I feel very honored. Oh, uh, no, uh, the honor is all mine. Happy Easter. God bless you. It's uh, Brother David Miglarino, uh, principal of St. Anthony's. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, give me a call. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Talk Radio 77 WABC. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Sunny. Yesterday my life was filled with rain Sunny You smiled at me and really eased the pain Now the dark days are done and the bright days are here My sunny one shines so sincere Sunny one so true, I love you Sunny Thank you for the sunshine, okay? We have had some beautiful sunny, sunny weather the last few days, have we not? It Thank has been great. Hopefully you had a nice Easter weekend as it uh, comes to a close. A lot of you probably heading back to work today for the first time. Uh, maybe you were, well, maybe some you were are off today. I know, I have a friend uh, whose daughter goes to Catholic school. They're off for two weeks. Two weeks, can you imagine? God bless them. Uh, all right. Hey, uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. And, um, you know what I just tweeted? You know, sometimes people will ask me, Frank, where do you get your news from? Where do you, wh- you know, where do you find things? And the answer is obviously I read everything. I mean, at least I try to read everything. Uh, not the least of which is the four 
main New York newspapers every day. In fact, I have a sta- stack of them right here. But um, I subscribe to a number of email newsletters. And one of the ones that I subscribe to is called The Hustle. And it's really great. They have all sorts of different content. In fact, there's a story that I learned about through the hustle yesterday, and I may read it. And they are doing – if you want to sign up for the hustle, uh, they're doing this thing where I think if you refer two or three people and they sign up for the email newsletter through the link that you refer them, then I think you get – I don't know, something. Either lunch with the head of the hustle or some you know uh, merchandise. So I just tweeted a link to my referral code. So if you find me on Twitter at Frank Moreno and sign up through that link, then I'll get credit and I'll, I don't know, if I, I think if a thousand people sign up, then I get to have lunch with the CEO of The Hustle. And I, hopefully he'll pay because I'm going to do just like Gilbert Gottfried did in that lunch with Jeffrey Gurry. I'm going to be ordering all sorts of crazy stuff. I also put it on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash Fan. Um, I had a very busy weekend since last I've seen you. I, I don't know where to begin. I'll l- l- let me begin at the beginning, right? We'll go chronologically. Thursday, we did our annual Holy Thursday karaoke trip to uh, Asia Roma. Uh, my wife and I went. My siblings went. Um, my uh, brother Nick's fiance. Uh, my brother Alexander's girlfriend. It was great. We had dinner. At, we went to Il Cortile. Had a great time at Il Cortile first. You know, and you know who came? Juliet Huddy. It was great to see her. She's doing well. And uh, she had a couple of great songs. She's uh, quite a singer. And uh, it was fun to run into her. And then a bunch of other folks came, including some listeners. Um, uh, Tom and Janice, who listen. They're great. Donna from Huntington. Uh, she's always terrific. And, you know, that was my first day of drinking. So I believe me, I more than made up for lost time. <laughs> so uh, that was a lot of fun. My first drink, by the way, was a Bombay Sapphire Negroni. So that was Thursday, Thursday night. Friday, we have a tradition in our family of we'll go to my cousins in Pennsylvania. They all live in Bethlehem, my three first cousins and my aunt and uncle. So we went there to dye some Easter eggs. And um, and spend the day out there. Another day, beautiful weather, but it's a lot of schlepping, right? So you get Thursday, Chinatown, Friday, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Saturday, I had gotten my wife and my sister Claudia uh, tickets, theater tickets for their birthday, and I went to the show. And then we had dinner at Sardi's. We saw Six, which was excellent. It's a musical about the six wives of King Henry VIII. It was wonderful. Really um, wonderful music, really educational. I learned a great deal. I think aside from the fact that one of them was Mary's mother, Queen Mary, one of them was Queen Elizabeth's mother, and maybe three of their names, I couldn't have told you much about anything about the wives of King Henry VIII. So it was a fun show to see, and then we had dinner at Sardi's, and that was uh, that was a lot of fun. But then it's again, you know, another Manhattan trip. So we had Bethlehem, we have Chinatown, Bethlehem, theater district and then sunday we took carmine my son carmine to his first trip to manhattan we have, we went to church they had an easter egg hunt at church my son did not get any easter eggs and he seemed thoroughly unimpressed by the easter bunny by the way he didn't seem to care didn't seem phased at all by the easter bunny did did not did not show one bit of reaction to the easter bunny 
So maybe next year he will. And the only Easter egg he got was one that was gifted to him. So um, then after church, we went with my mom, and it was glad I was glad that we got to see her. We went to t- take our son for his first trip into Manhattan. Where did we take him? Carmine's. So Carmine's restaurant on the uh, on the Upper West Side. And my father's name is Carmine as well. So I just put on Instagram, and it's it's an exclusive to Instagram, so you're going to have to follow me on Instagram to see it, a photograph of my father, Carmine, trying to give my son, Carmine, a martini at Carmine's. So I just put that on Instagram. If you want to see the picture, you can. It's at Morano Vision. It's pretty, pretty cute. I mean, he didn't really drink anything, but... You know, my dad was putting together an effort there. So that's at M-O-R-A-N-O Vision. So that's uh, that's the latest. Let me tell you what's coming up next hour. We are going to talk with Scott Barry Kaufman. Scott Barry Kaufman is a cognitive scientist, an author, and a podcaster, and a guy whose work I have been following for years. Very much looking forward to uh, that discussion. You, you can follow me on Facebook if you want to, facebook.com slash MoranoFan. But um, uh, I'll tell you, I almost needed the weekend to be over just so I could get some rest and catch my breath because it was all fun stuff, but it was exhausting after four days. It really was. All right, commendations coming up in a minute, and Scott Barry Kaufman. This is the other side of midnight. Help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. In just a minute, you will get to hear commendations. The people that deserve a pat on the back for a good deed or an accomplishment or something will give you the commendations. And then I'm going to talk with a cognitive scientist who has a new way of thinking about intelligence. That's a conversation you are not going to want to miss. Uh, but uh, at least one gentleman has been holding for a while. Let me squeeze him in here before we get to commendations. Bruce is on Long Island. Hello there, Bruce. What's on your mind? Good morning, Frank. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, I'm lying in bed. I turn on the radio. And what do I hear? My boss. <laughs> brother, I teach at St. Anthony's High School. Oh, wonderful. All right, Dick. great. So I just wanted to make one little comment about how fantastic Brother David is. Um Doing this whole COVID thing, of course, he managed the whole crisis, and uh, I'm uh, the director of music at the school, and he continued the whole music program 
following the state guidelines. Mm-hmm. We had to measure six feet, 12 feet, depending on the situation to keep the students apart. But we gave all the concerts. Uh, we had to adjust it, the location. Sometimes we had no audience. They were simulcast. But it was cr- truly incredible the way the whole program continued. And there's the chorus program directed by Brother Joshua continued exactly the same way. I mean, we followed different guidelines because the state had different guidelines for different groups. But to continue all that and everything else in the school that could continue, continue. So it was really a bit of a surprise to hear his voice. Here I am on vacation. I wake up. I turn on and I'm hearing my boss. Where am I? (laughs) Well, I mean, um, but uh, honestly, uh, I feel like you have to say nice things about him because he's your boss. You you, you tell us, uh, tell us the real low down, dirty, dirty behind the scenes, nitty gritty of what's going on in that school. I'll tell you the real lowdown. With Brother David, you don't have to say kind things to him. He's always asking for the truth, wants to hear how to improve the school. Just absolutely just a phenomenal person. And uh, any organization would be um, just happy to have him. Wonderful. Well, that's great. I wish he would run the. I wish he would run the. He and brother Joshua run the country. (laughs) Hey, uh, hey! It sounds like we couldn't do. uh, We we could do a lot worse than those two. Thank you very much, Bruce. Enjoy the rest of your vacation. All right. Without further ado, it is now time for the other side of midnight presents commendations. I must give a sincere commendation to my father and stepmother, Carmine and Elizabeth Morano, who this year will be celebrating, excuse not this year, this week, will be celebrating their 30th wedding anniversary. It's hard for me uh, to believe. It feels like yesterday they got married, but it's going to be 30 years. So happy, happy anniversary to you, Carmine and Elizabeth Morano. Carmine is also the namesake of my son. And you can see him with his Carmines on my Instagram, at Morano Vision. I also want to give a shout-out and a commendation to Sal from Il Cortil. We had a great meal at Il Cortil Thursday night in uh, Little Italy. Sal is, I guess, one of the managers there. Big listener to this show. And he was kind enough to buy us a bottle of wine. And trust me, this is a bottle of wine that was thoroughly enjoyed. And he was going to, he actually bought us a bottle of Moscato as well and was going to buy us dessert, but we were in a little bit of a rush. We were running late. So big thank you to Sal from Il Cortil. If you're, uh, if you ever go to Il Cortil, ask for Sal. Tell him, uh, tell him we gave him a shout out on the radio. I have to give a commendation to Lyft. Lyft, to their credit, suspended. Their surge pricing citywide on Tuesday after that horrible subway attack injured at least 29 people. This was even as Uber stubbornly, stubbornly lifted, excuse me, limited their own suspension of demand based rates to Brooklyn where the shooting occurred. So Uber was trying to be, uh, do a good deed and say, all right, no surge pricing around where the subway shooting is. Well, Lyft said this is screwing up everybody's transportation. We're not going to charge surge pricing anywhere in the city. Good for you, Lyft. Good for er, you. I'm sorry that I just sent Jeffrey Gurian home in an Uber instead of a Lyft. But I think Molly might have bought him a Lyft also. So we'll, we're, we're, I'm, I, may start, I may switch to Lyft. 
I may switch. I have no loyalty to Uber. I don't care about Uber. I want to give a commendation to Dick Vitale. I love Dick Vitale. I don't even care about college basketball. But he's just someone who has such incredible energy, such a passion for the game of basketball, knows so much about basketball. He has an energy which is just infectious. He makes me care about all these games that I don't care about. I mean, he's awesome with a capital A, baby. Uh, And so now the word came back this past week that Dick Vidal's blood work now shows zero cancer after chemotherapy. So his medical saga may finally be over. He announced on Thursday that his doctor has given him the go-ahead to ring the bell after he got this uh, after he got this clean bill of health. So I can't think. I don't know Dick Vitale, but everything I've heard about him from people that do know him, he's apparently just as nice of a guy as you think he is. So I love to see anybody beat their battle with cancer, and I think that. Um, he is somebody that is uh, inspirational for a lot of people. And look, you know, uh, my colleague Bernard McGurk battling cancer himself right now. I hope he's able to be just as triumphant with his battle with cancer as Dick Vitale has. And I I, I really wish the same thing for Lauren, uh, one of our listeners who suffers with uh, lung cancer. And that stops her from turning the radio down from time to time. But I hope she's able to beat that cancer so that she can turn the radio down the next time that she calls in. And because, you know, we want all the listeners of this show in good shape. Now, I want to give a commendation to the New York Metropolitans. Now, I'm a Metropolitans fan. I was very pleased to see uh, their victory in the home opener against the Diamondbacks. But I'll probably get to a game or two this, this season, but What I was even happier to see than that win over the Diamondbacks in the home opener was the unveiling of this brand new Tom Seaver statue, a 10-foot high statue, 3,200 pounds of Tom Terrific, three-time Cy Young winner, the franchise. He was the, the franchise And uh, was an integral part of the 1969 New York Mets team. And just really, he saw the Mets go from being this mediocre, run-of-the-mill team to being the best team in baseball. And uh, Tom Terrific was terrific. And he unfortunately passed away two years ago due to complications from Lewy body dementia and COVID-19. And uh, look, my uncle, my uncle Carmine died of Lewy body uh, dementia, and I, I know how trying that can be, not only for the person suffering for, with it, but for the family itself. And Tom Seaver fought that fight very bravely. And finally, now there is a statue of Tom Terrific outside City Field. This should have been the first thing that was built. Now I'm not criticizing it, but when they built this City Field, you remember if you went to any games early on. I mean, it was a beautiful ballpark, but it was really, you thought you were visiting Ebbets Field Part 2. There's all sorts of old Brooklyn Dodger memorabilia, because Fred Wilpon was a Dodgers fan. I'm not knocking it. A lot of people were Dodgers fans, and they all became Met fans. But Tom Seaver's statue should have been the very first thing they put up there. And I say kudos 
to the uh, Mets ownership led by Steve Cohen and everybody responsible for putting up this Tom Seaver statue. Long overdue, but much appreciated. I'm sure not only by the fans, but by Tom Seaver's friends, his former teammates, and um, and everybody that knew him over the years. So uh, certainly his family as well, I would think. Thank you uh, to the New York Metropolitans for doing this. Uh, you know, I'd love to. I'm going to suggest this to John Katsimatidis because he's the owner of the Staten Island Ferry Hawks, the new baseball team, the new independent league team in um, Staten Island. I'm going to suggest that they put up a statue to Bobby Thompson, probably the most famous Staten Island baseball player of all time. The Staten Island Scott or the Staten Island Thumper had that uh, a shot heard around the world in 1951. I met Bobby Thompson back in 1996, and he could not have been a nicer guy. Really just could not have been a nicer guy. And uh, I think that uh, he, he is somebody that w- if there's going to be a celebration of Staten Island baseball, it should also include a celebration of um, Bobby Thompson. I'll tell you what I do. Uh, well, I mean, John is probably listening right now, so I kind of just did make the suggestion to him. But maybe what I'll do is suggest it to Sid and have Sid suggest it to John. This way... If John likes the idea, it gets implemented. But if he doesn't like the idea, then he blames Sid for bringing these crazy ideas to him. I'm I'm sort of kidding, but not really. All right. um, I want to commend this company, Inspect-er, Inspect-ir. They have done something really interesting. They have developed the very first COVID breathalyzer test. Now, I'm so over COVID testing. I don't plan to get any COVID tests anytime soon. Um, the FDA has now granted emergency use authorization for this COVID test that uses breath samples. I used to, I, we used to get tested here every week. And I've been tested many times. You followed my travails with being tested. When they shove that cotton swab up your nose so high that it reaches your brain... It is one of the most uncomfortable things in the world, and it makes me want to sneeze. It's just, I hate it. I And now that it's a breathalyzer test, I say that is just wonderful. I say that's great. I want to commend the League of Women Voters. They have um, urged the state appellate court to reject the gerrymandered legislative lines that the state legislature came up with. These lines are a joke. And again, just because this is Democratic gerrymandering, in my view, this doesn't excuse Republican gerrymandering in other parts of the country where that's gone on. I think that's just as reprehensible as this. And I commend the League of Women Voters for speaking out about this and urging the court to reject these lines. Hopefully they will, and we'll get some new lines that are drawn with an eye towards fairness, not with an eye towards partisanship. I want to commend Pope Francis. Pope Francis. Pope Francis and his Easter address delivered to tens of thousands of worshipers in the Vatican at uh, St. Peter's Square for where he called for peace for war-torn Ukraine And caution that this conflict could lead to nuclear war. This is the kind of understanding of the stakes here that I wish every world leader would comprehend. 
I'm listening to Zelensky on CNN, and I'll play you what he said either today or tomorrow. I'm listening to Biden. I'm listening to Putin. And these sound like men who do not understand the the consequences of what a nuclear war would mean, of a nuclear conflict. This beautiful thousand-word um, commentary from the Pope was just wonderful. And he cited a line from a 1955 manifesto by Albert Einstein in which uh, he, he says this, Shall we put an end to the human race or shall mankind renounce war? Well, I know which one would have my vote. And this was a special uh, Easter address because it was the first one since COVID that they did in St. Peter's Square and everyone got to celebrate in person. So I I thought it was just five star, five star indeed. Uh, I want to commend a gentleman by the name of Yasser Adin. Uh, Turkey might be years away from sending someone to space, but this restaurateur is giving it a try with an interesting beginning. He's sending a delicious dish of Adana kebab into space hours before the iftar dinner for the Muslim faithful that break their fast at the end of Ramadan. He launched this kebab into space with the help of some very industrious people, and including a space engineering student who also probably deserves a shout-out, and local entrepreneur Idris Albayarak. Aideen achieved this dream of sending this kebab into space. They planned every stage of the launch. They launched this kebab into the stratosphere. A special box was designed to place the kebab in it so that it can endure extreme temperatures in the sky. So the box, fitted with cameras and a tracking device, was attached to a helium balloon. For his part, Aideen didn't forget to add side dishes to the kebab, just as he served to his customers on Earth, from onions to salad. So they did this on April 12th, which was appropriately the International Day of Human Space Flight and uh, the anniversary of Yuri Gagarin's uh, foray into space. I think this is great. I don't know where this kebab ended up, but I think this is wonderful. I'm all for sending stuff into space, even if it's just food. Uh, And now I kind of want to try this kebab. Sounds pretty good. I want to commend Don Voltaggio. How much do you think an Arizona iced tea cost 30 years ago? That's when I started drinking it 30 years ago. Remember what a big thing Arizona iced tea was? Now, I loved it because it was a big can. It was a bigger can. It was bigger than anything else. So I would, this 30 years ago, I would drink this stuff by the gallon. Then later they changed. Um, they had bottles and some other things. Some I think Peter Max designed some interesting bottles. But they're really designed, known for their signature can. And I think they're made here in New York, by the way, not in Arizona at all. So you know how much a bottle of, excuse me, a can of Arizona iced tea cost 30 years ago? 
99 cents. Ah, the good old days when you could get a big old can of Arizona iced tea for 99 cents. Do you know how much with inflation, and we've seen what inflation has done to everything from the Big Mac to the price of gas to a gallon of milk, eggs, whatever. Do you know how much a can of Arizona iced tea costs today? 99 cents. This CEO, this billionaire CEO, Don Voltaggio, has refused to raise the price of of Arizona iced tea for the last 30 years. Now, I don't really drink Arizona iced tea anymore because I, I don't really drink soda or anything with sugar in it. But um, if you do drink Arizona iced tea, I hope you'll patronize more of this stuff because the stubborn refusal of Don Voltaggio to rate to, to his refusal to raise prices is just wonderful. And it stands in stark contrast with just so many of these other businesses are doing. And now, look, I know the businesses are strapped here, and I know it's costing them more to transport things because of gas prices, and I know the ingredients are costing more. That only makes my uh, admiration for Don Voltaggio all the more. And you know why he can do it? He has no... In some ways, it's kind of like what John Katsimatidis does at the station. He doesn't have shareholders. So he has no fiduciary duty to maximize profits or shareholder value. All these other companies that are raising prices that are publicly traded, they have to do right by their shareholders. This guy doesn't because he has no fiduciary responsibility to gouge the consumer. I'm sure he's making money. He spent seven years fighting with his co-founder, um, John Farolito, who wanted to be able to sell his stake in the company to a major multinational like Coca-Cola or some or uh, Nestle or something. But thankfully, Voltaggio won the fight and Farolito ended up having to sell his stake back to the company for a mere billion dollars or so bag of shells. Significantly less than these big companies like Coca-Cola and Nestle were offering. So the main force holding Arizona inflation at bay is just Don Voltaggio himself and his refusal to raise prices and his attachment to the way in which the 99-cent can effectively markets itself. Against that is inflation itself. Now, the price of aluminum is up. The price of his cans are up. Corn syrup is up for his drinks, diesel for transporting it. And he's dealing with tighter and tighter margins every year. But like all billionaires, Voltaggio has a billion dollars. So he's done extremely well in the markets in recent years. And more money is not going to change this guy's life, especially if it meant giving up that 99 cent can. As far as I'm concerned, this guy is a hero among among businessmen. Love this guy. Love to try and get him on the show. Uh, And then finally... I am going to give a commendation to Janice Jenkins. Janice Jenkins is a math teacher at East Orange Community Charter School in East Orange, New Jersey. And her training in the Heimlich Maneuver recently proved vital after one of her third graders began to choke on a bottle cap. And the classroom surveillance camera, and you can watch this online... The classroom surveillance camera captured this moment, which occurred last Wednesday, and the first few seconds of the video are really, really scary. 
And in this video, this nine-year-old student can be seen seated at his desk attempting to open a water bottle. The third grader twists the lid with his teeth. He tilts his head back and squeezes the bottle, causing water to gush out and thrust the cap into his throat, blocking the airway. The student then runs over to his teacher, pointing to his throat, signaling for help. So this teacher, I mean, is textbook grace under fire. She calmly sprang into action. She sees the students losing color in his face, realizing that he was pointing to his throat. Um, she just goes over, does the Heimlich maneuver, and it popped out the cap. Math teacher learned CPR in the Heimlich maneuver years ago when she was teaching preschool. Um, I don't know if every teacher is required to learn CPR in the Heimlich maneuver. But I tend to think, after seeing this story, every single teacher should be trained with the Heimlich Maneuver and CPR. This is, I mean, what if this teacher didn't know the Heimlich Maneuver? Kid could have died or suffered from brain damage. And not to mention, we could have lost a perfectly good uh, bottle cap. I mean, so Janice Jenkins, I do commend you, along with Don Voltaggio, Yassar Adin. Pope Francis, the League of Women Voters, uh, the New York Metropolitans, Inspect IR, Dick Vitale, Lyft, Sal from Il Cortiel, and my father and stepmother. For everyone else that did a good deed this week and didn't get a formal commendation, tough. At least you still have the satisfaction of knowing you did something noteworthy. All right. Uh, we're going to talk with Scott Barry Kaufman straight ahead. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. 77 WABC. Monday morning you showed the fight. Friday I got traveling on my mind. First you love me, then you fade away. I can't go on. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. Well, since humans first learned to think, there has been one big question that humans have sought to answer. That question is, what are humans thinking? Well, uh, my next guest has done yeoman's work in terms of redefining the analysis of how humans think, what they think about, and how their thoughts can be quantified and characterized. And he often comes down a very different way from what the rest of uh, the rest of his colleagues come down on. And you know what an iconoclast I am, that this is right up my alley. I'm a big, big fan of his work. I don't know how he finds the time to do all the things that he manages to do, but he's a cognitive scientist, an author, a podcaster, a popular science writer, and he has written a great deal and researched a great deal on intelligence, creativity, and human uh, human potential. Give me a great deal of pleasure. Welcome, Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman. Dr. Kaufman, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. 
Ah, so great to talk to you, and thanks for such an amazing intro. Well, it has the added virtue of being true. I've been following your work for a long time. Uh, I've read a couple of your books, been fascinated by it for a long time. But for people that uh, aren't familiar with your work, I, I guess a lot of what you've kind of become known for is your attempts to redefine intelligence. Now, I think uh, wherever our listeners come down on the intelligence question, most of us tend to think of it as kind of the same thing. I mean, we think of Albert Einstein as intelligent. We think of uh, somebody that's got a super high IQ as intelligent. You've caused a lot of people to rethink what intelligence is. How do you think intelligence should be redefined and how is that different from the societal norm? Oh, that's a great question. Well, a lot of people equate intelligence with your IQ, your your raw cognitive capacity, how quick are you at responding to things and uh, and having abstract thinking. But a lot of the problems with that way of thinking about intelligence is that it leaves out the importance of engagement and personal goals and dreams in one's, uh, in, in one's intellectual capacity. Well, we write off a lot of kids in a school system. We write them off as not particularly intelligent or capable, um, who have are brimming with lots and lots of potential because if we looked at their dreams, looked at their, their goals, we looked at their, um, got them engaged and activated um, with a passion towards something, you would see a whole different kind of intelligence exhibit itself. And I, I've seen it in, in so many different kinds of um, people who have been run off from, from these savants who have low IQs but are capable of doing a really remarkable things to um, to lots of kids with learning disabilities who are in special education and don't they don't think they have much potential because they're getting those signals from others but they extraordinary potential so give me an example of someone that society wouldn't consider intelligent but that you do uh, whether it's somebody that you just mentioned somebody that has a learning disability and is able to accomplish something different or somebody through creativity is able to ex- achieve something extraordinary even though they're not likely to beat Ken Jennings in jeopardy anytime soon yeah well the thing is it's more about during like an IQ testing session it's it's so, so divorced from from anything else. So you can have a kid uh, or an adult who takes an IQ testing session, and in that completely completely decontextualized environment, where you, why do you care about these kind of puzzles, right? And you you have no interest in that, and so you you score very poorly on that kind of test. Or let's say you have a learning disability like ADHD or dyslexia that gives you working memory deficit, so it makes it really hard for you to concentrate in that particular IQ testing session. So then the person looks at the, 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 the school psychologist or the, the psychologist looks at the results and, 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 and deems that person unintelligent based on that testing session. But then you take that very same person, like let's take someone with dyslexia who may have a hard time focusing during an IQ testing session, and you look at these hidden strengths, these amazing intellectual strengths they have that they often apply towards business. Uh, business acumen or or uh, being able to have visualization ability to really um, mainly rotate things in, in three-dimensional space and in really profound ways. When they really get activated and excited, you see a whole different kind of intelligence. You often see this a lot with people with ADHD. Mm. Um, people with ADHD, when you get them really into the flow state, um, there's this, this state of oneness with what you're you're doing where everything recedes in the background and, and the only thing that's important is what you're creating. You get them really engaged in something that they're really passionate about. 
they actually have hyper focus. They could be more focused and in flow than than people who don't have ADHD. So so much of it is contextual. Yet the way that the standard metrics of intelligence have tended to be historically uh, decontextualized, if that makes sense. Uh, no, I, I think it certainly it certainly does. Now you're the person that has caused a lot of us to rethink intelligence. What caused you, uh, coming from a kind of conventional educational background all the way up to your PhD, uh, to rethink intelligence and start looking at intelligence differently? When did you realize that maybe the way that society was measuring intelligence wasn't all it was cracked up to be? When I was like four years old, <laughs> I was actually in, I was in special education as a as a really young child. I had it. I was essentially deaf the first three years of my life, and I remember being very very confused about why uh, people had such low expectations for me. And and I I know personally that I had this really rich imagination. I had this fantasy life. I was writing uh, stories. I was writing complete stories at the I guess age nine ten. Um, uh, science fiction stories, and I felt like I had more capability, but it was very confused why no one else seemed to think that I had this capability. And then also my friends in special ed, I felt like they were being written off, and I knew them. Some of them were my best friends, and I saw their potential as well. And so I feel like just at a very, very young age, I felt this mission to someday rethink the education system. Well, I think you've certainly rethought it and caused a lot of other people to uh, do that as well. Now, you've got this new book out. This is one of your books that I haven't read, but I'm looking forward to picking up, picking it up. It's called Transcend, The New Science of Self-Actualization. Now, before we get into what the new science is, what do we mean when we talk about the term self-actualization? Yeah, what is the unique, the most unique creative potential that you have within yourself? You know, we have lots of needs that we share with other people, like the need for connection, need for, you know, love, and need for self-esteem. Um, but what is the, the most unique creative potential that if fully actualized would really be able to show the world that you uniquely existed on this planet? That is what I view as self-actualization. Well, and uh, tell me about Transcend. What are people going to learn about self-actualization in this book? Yeah, well... Let me just uh, say that self-actualization is different than transcendence. I see self-actualization as a necessary but not sufficient condition for transcendence. When you have this creative potential that you fully um, work toward every day, you choose growth, you overcome your deficiencies, you overcome your, your motivation for your deficiencies, and you start to merge with the world in a beautiful way where what is automatically good for you is good for the world. This is what I refer to as transcendence. There's this great synergy. Um, and when you have that synergy, you feel integrated, you feel harmonious, you feel harmonious within yourself. You stop fighting a, a war within yourself, you know, having different sides of yourself being pulled apart from each other, um, as well as with the environment. So this book is really about the latest science of human potential and how we can, and often how we hold ourselves back and in, in the many, many ways we hold ourselves back from realizing who we could truly become. So much of people just thinking we're talking with Scott Barry Kaufman. He is a cognitive scientist, an author, a podcaster and a popular science writer. So much of what I've enjoyed about your book, your work is that it's focused on unlocking individuals full potential. Now, yeah. what 
what is the biggest mistake that most people make, whatever their field, whatever their age, whatever their gender, whatever their stage in life? What's the biggest mistake that most people make in not living up to their full potential? I think that a lot of people, because they have certain deficiencies in their basic needs, like maybe they're lonely and so they have a deficiency in their need for connection, or maybe they don't feel like they have a lot of respect, so they're def- deficient in their self-esteem or, or, or they don't feel unsafe in their environment. There's so many ways our basic needs can be deficient. One of the biggest mistakes is that we focus so much on our deficiencies that we don't ever really see the bigger picture of who we could become. And I see that so much in my own clients. Um, I'm a self-actualization coach. And with my clients, you just can clearly see how people are are not even aware of their higher potentialities because they're so narrowly focused day in and day out on just satisfying their most basic needs to a certain level. Well, so give us some tips. What can we do to satisfy our uh, basic needs and let not let our limitations block uh, our full potential from being realized? Well, I have a new book coming out this year called Choose Growth, which is an entire workbook on these sorts of uh, these sorts of things. Um, you know, I, a lot of this is really being open to new experiences and um, exp- and, and moving towards a exploration, curiosity mindset towards things. We we often have as a default a avoidant tendency or a fear response, um, but. A big part of the self-actualization process is getting outside your comfort zone and really moving in the direction of growth. I really like this phrase, choose growth. This is I'm trying to start the choose growth campaign where we realize that some of our biggest traumas, like even just uh, the last couple of years and, and all the difficulties and challenges that we've had as a, a humanity you know, has had that we can all share together, there's post-traumatic growth that can come from that. We can really shift our priorities. We can really... Um, see new ways of uh, being in the world to to help others and to um, even grow ourselves. So I'm just going to leave you with just the slogan, choose growth, because it's something you have to choose every single day. Um, And when you choose that option, what you're choosing is the option of moving toward um, your, your most creative potentialities and away from fear. And what about the, 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 creativity specifically you really seem passionate about helping people tap into creativity that they may not routinely be tapping into or realize that they're tapping into it what can be done uh in in whatever you're doing professionally or or in your personal life to better realize your creative potential yeah, I really like thinking of creativity not as the thing you do, but who you are. And and every single day gives us so many opportunities for creativity. We're all wired for creativity. Um, and it's a matter of being, oh, like I think I mentioned openness to experiences already, but being open to new experiences, um, having uh, cultivating a, uh, a, a great sense of wonder and um, and being sensitive to uh, to the world and constantly being on search for new meanings for things. All these are all these sort of things I'm mentioning are things are ways of being. They're ways that we uh, create things in the world just by existing and expressing who we uniquely are. I don't think it's an add-on. I don't think it's something like creative. It's something of people mm-hmm. like, oh, well, I'm not creative. No, you are creative because you 
you you are a unique human. Uh, talking with Scott Barry Kaufman, he's a uh, cognitive scientist. His uh, latest book is Transcend, but uh, that won't be his latest book for long because he he writes books literally at a faster pace than I can read them. So uh, <laughs> be sure to check. You could check out Scott's website, and uh, a whole world opens up. Uh, the website uh, is uh, Scott Barry Kaufman. Two T's in, in Scott, two R's in Barry Kaufman. Standard Spelling dot com. You've spent a great deal of time analyzing folks with autism. One of the saddest things that I think I see in society on a regular basis is, and I've probably been guilty of it myself from time to time, is that we we almost view autistic people in society as folks that can never be productive, folks that uh, are to be treated uh, differently, isolated, uh, talked to and treated like children rather than adults who can contribute in a meaningful way. What has your study and your research taught you about autism and what can the world learn from you? Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you gave me the opportunity to talk about that topic very near and dear to my heart. I, I've really tried to argue that we need to rethink this stuff, for, as, as I do, <laughs> but rethinking autism as well. So I often, we tend to, a lot of people kind of treat people who are autistic spectrum as though they're awkward, socially, socially awkward. But I say they're socially creative. You know, there is a, a different way of being that people on the autism spectrum have, but the, but different doesn't mean bad. Um, and we need all sorts of different kinds of um, brain wirings in this world. Uh, neuro, we need that neurodiversity um, to be able to to get different perspectives on the world and um, be able to learn from each other. People in the autism spectrum have a lot of uh, often have a lot of very very uh, very strong gifts um, that they they offer to the world. Uh, their their literalness uh, sometimes actually allows us to uh, see the truth. In ways that uh, that a lot of uh, neurotypical people don't really see the truth because there there's so many sort of like fat around it, you know, and people are so always trying to be so polite with each other, you know. People in the autism I love hanging out with them because they just tell you what they think. Mm. They're not they're not trying to sugarcoat things and in and and they're very they're truth seekers, and I, I absolutely love that. I do too, and uh, it certainly as certainly I think if you look at the prevalence of autism and the growth of autism, or maybe it's just autism diagnosis, uh, there's certainly a lot of autistic people around uh, living into adulthood, living into old age in many instances, and uh, I think it, the sooner that society can get accustomed to integrating them into the professional world in a more meaningful way, the better off we'll, we'll all be. Hey, once subject that I've always been fascinated by, and you see one study, you see a different study, and they say different things and suggest different things, is the psychology of political belief. Now, we have a lot of folks listening to us who feel very strongly on one side of the aisle or another. Are there any commonalities to the psychological archetype of someone that's conservative or liberal or Republican or independent or Democrat? There are personality differences for sure. Yeah. Um, but what, something that's interesting is that uh, the, the liberals often look at conservatives and, and say, oh, they're not, they don't have any compassion, you know, and conservatives tend to look at liberals and be like, oh, they're, 
they, you know, they're bleeding hard. <laughs> they like they're they're too too compassionate. The thing is, they're they are both compassionate just in different ways. The research shows that um, people uh, Republicans tend to be more score high on politeness, and they tend to value that more, whereas those on the left tend to value um, empathy and compassion more. There are different ways of expressing um, one's agreeableness in this world and expressing um, and caring about things. You know, you you actually need to look at it as a an integrated sort of higher whole. I think we need the kind of skills and characteristics um, and and views on on very on a lots of different sides. And I think it's unfortunate that we have this duopoly that that creates this uh, this binary as opposed to trying to figure out ways of integrating and coming up with higher order truths. Well, no, I would certainly agree. And uh, Scott, I, I wish I could talk with you all day because uh, you're such Aww. a fascinating guy. You've done such great work. And I hope you'll come back soon. Thank you. Invite me back anytime, my man. Absolutely. Uh, Scott Barry Kaufman, if you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call. 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. WABC. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. These are the Georgia Satellites singing Keep Your Hands to Yourself. If you ever want to know what kind of music we play on this show, uh, you have to join our Facebook group and we'll post them each and every morning, whatever the song selections are. Uh, just, just go on Facebook and search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. Or you could just go to Facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. And uh, you can see the songs that we post there on a daily basis. How great is that, Scott Barry Kaufman? What an interesting, uh, interesting person. Big thank you and shout out. A big shout-out and a big thank you to the good folks over at Talkers Magazine. Actually, they're they just Talkers now. They don't really call themselves Talkers Magazine. It used to be a magazine, but now they don't publish in print anymore. It's just online, Talkers.com. Big fo- thank you over to the folks at Talkers.com. On Thursday, they unveiled their annual list of the Heavy 100, the 100 most influential radio talk show hosts in America. And I was flattered to not only make the list for the second year in a row, but last year I was number 94 on the list. And look, I was it was the first time I ever made it. I was thrilled to be included. And uh, this year I have moved up to number 76. So I am thrilled uh, to make the list. Number 76, 76 trombones led the big parade. Uh, 110 cornets, 
were doing their thing also. So a lot of my colleagues here at WABC made it as well. I know Mark Levin made it on the list. Brian Kilmeade made it onto the list. Rita Cosby made it onto the list. And um, uh, Charlie Kirk made it onto the list. So uh, a real uh, great accomplishment. There's a lot of talk show hosts in this country. And to narrow down the 100 best or the 100 most influential or whatever the case may be, I know it's based on both hard criteria like ratings and revenue and also soft criteria like uh, talent, potential, courage, impact. Uh, I am, in truth, truth be told, just blown away to make the list for the second year in a row and to see my standing go from number 94 to number 76. So thank you uh, to Talkers Magazine or Talkers and Michael Harrison. But thank you to you uh, for listening to this show each and every day because uh, you have made this show successful but beyond what I think anyone except maybe me and maybe John Katzmatidis ever expected for this show. So uh, thank you very, very much. And, you know, looking through this list here, seeing a lot of my colleagues on it, I'm looking for where Curtis Lewa was ranked. Any guesses as to where as to where Curtis finished on the list of the heavy hundred? Because he's been on this list many times before. Anyone? Anyone? Oh. Curtis didn't make the list. Mm. I crashed and burned. One hundred most influential talk show hosts in America. Nope. I'm didn't, like a person of no consequence. Didn't make the list. The guy's doing 20 different shows. I think he's coming back at noon and is going to be on uh, or 12.15 and he's going to be on today before Greg Kelly. The guy's on all the time. Not making the heavy hundred. How stupid is that? So he was he was I mean, look, I, I kid I kid because I love. But uh, he was, by the way, I don't understand a lot of you because I told you when I left Thursday and I said the same thing on Wednesday and I said the same thing on Tuesday and I said the same thing on Monday. I said, I'm not going to be here Friday because I'm going to be, you know, with some family and friends for the Easter holiday. And I said, wherever Curtis says I am, I don't know where it's going to be, but it's not true. I said that four days in a row. And sure enough, I guess Curtis told people I was in Atlantic City this weekend. And I must have gotten, no exaggeration, 50 text messages and emails, including from not just listeners that never met me, friends of mine, saying, oh, are you in Atlantic City uh, this weekend? Are you going to be there all day? Or maybe we can meet up. Now, I still don't understand how Curtis is able to dupe people into thinking that what he says is true with respect to me. It's not. And I warned you in advance. I said, this is what I'm doing. Don't believe anything Curtis says. I just don't understand. The guy has a gift. He does have a gift. So my thanks to Curtis for filling in on uh, Friday morning on this show. I heard a, a a big portion of it. Again, that was my first few hours of drinking, so I can't say I listened to it with the most sober ear. But 
um, it was nice of him to do the show nonetheless. And then um, because he was here, John Katsimatidis was filling in with Lydia Serrani on the Bernie and Sid show. I guess those guys were off too. And because Curtis was here, they had Curtis stick around on that show too. So uh, John invited Curtis to stick around. And what did Curtis do? Well, yes, he does the same thing when he's on the radio with John that he does when he's on the radio for the other 24 hours of the weekend that he is on. He talked about yours truly. Now, I understand Frank Moreno's at the crap table in Atlantic City. You know, oh, yeah. Curtis? Three-day extravaganza. I, wow. I gave him the day off because he was telling me he's going to church for Good Friday. <laughs> well, he that is, that crap is his church. That now, is John, his church. He can't, he can't figure out what he is. He was born a Catholic. Now he's a wannabe Catholic and Episcopalian. I, then he said he's a Methodist. And his wife is I just part Jewish. Know, I just want to know. If the UFOs are landing in New Jersey again, <laughs> who is going to be around to report it? Exactly. But remember, he does such a good job promoting Atlantic City. The other side of midnight. Yes. Now, you do it Saturdays and Sundays and today, tonight, too, on the other, other side of midnight. Right. Now, that's what you call it. And I like that one better than what Frank calls it. He says, <laughs> another side of midnight. No, I like John's better. By the way, I want to make clear, I had nothing to do with the naming of that show. I, 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 no, nobody solicits my input when it comes to the naming. But that's fun. See, I'm glad John can have some fun with it. I was not at the craps table. And uh, but you know, th- today's tax day. You realize that? And so we're getting a net refund, but I owe the state. I owe the state. So they're going to yank $2,000 out of my bank account today. So that doesn't leave much of a cushion for anything Atlantic City related. So I'm just hoping that uh, the federal government gets me my refund quickly to replenish that $2,000. But um, so be it. Uh, so that was Curtis and the Catman on Friday morning. Another show that I was mentioned on yesterday around noon was on Dick Morris's show. Uh, Dick Morris was, I guess, talking about the Russia-Ukraine situation, criticizing Tucker Carlson and so forth. And uh, somebody called in. I have a feeling I know who it was and uh, was critical of me in this show. And I thought Dick Morris had a very interesting reaction to what this caller said on the air. Uh, I just want to let you know, unfortunately, one of your colleagues on the station Frank Marano has believed in all Tucker Carlson's lies and is the only guest he's hosted on this program are what another listener to the program has described. Forgive me for a minute. Who is Frank Marano? He hosts the midnight program on on weeknights. That's why we don't know him. On what? Monday to Friday nights. On Newsnight. Mornings from 1 to 5 a.m. Right, right. And, and And on WABC. Right. Okay, well, I don't want to criticize a fellow WABCer, but if I were to uh, choose an outlet to talk about uh, what the Russian version is of what's happening in Ukraine, maybe a show that might talk about uh, galactic, galactic invasions of the United States might be a good place to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I do not know Frank, and, and I do not know his stuff. Um it's, it just saddens me that people are believing Tucker Carlson on this stuff. It absolutely is wrong. 
Uh, well, first of all, I, I thought that was a very classy response by uh, Dick Morris. I mean, basically, he said, uh, I'm not going to criticize a fellow WABCer. And then he said, what, what do they know about, you know, uh, well, they just discuss all sorts of galactic stuff on that show. Well, so be it. That's fine. I don't mind. And I, I have interviewed uh, Dick Morris. In fact, when he first joined the station, I asked him to come on. But he said, and I guess he was telling the truth. He said that uh, the show was on too late for him, that he couldn't come on. But I do wonder about that caller that felt the need to kind of tell on me to Dick Morris. W- what were you expecting from Dick Morris to do, to to call John Katzmatidis and say, you know, you've got this uh, terrible person on parroting Tucker Carlson talking points. Get him off the air. No, I mean, come on. That's what's so great about this radio station is you got someone like Dick Morris who, at least on this issue, toes a pretty standard neocon line. And you got me, who tells a different tune. Now, um, and as far as Dick Morris's criticism of Tucker Carlson, there's a reason that Tucker Carlson is number one, number one going away. People are responding to the fact that at least Tucker's willing to take a different point of view. And by the way, uh, what uh, what spot did Dick Morris have on the Talkers Heavy Hundred? Ah, I see. Okay. Hey, uh, until next hour, your influence counts. Use it. This is the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio seventy-seven WABC. Now here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight, start of a brand new week. Hopefully you're having a nice holiday, whether you're a Passover person, an Easter person, a Ramadan person, or whatever else, totally secular, whatever the case may be. And I'm hoping you got to relax a little bit this weekend. I did the opposite of relax. I did a lot of running around, but it was great to see so many friends and, and family. And... Um, Whatever you ended up doing this weekend, I hope your week is off to a good start. Unfortunately, there is still a lot of um, sad news during Europe. Breaking news, WABC. Now, the latest on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. At least six people were killed and eight injured after Russia fired missiles at Lviv, uh, or Lviv in western Ukraine, according to local officials. So that's the latest from Lviv, uh, an unconfirmed report. We don't have the ability to independently corroborate this, but it is being reported that at least six people were killed and eight injured after Russia fired missiles at Lviv. Um, very, very sad. As there's any more news on this, I will bring it to you. You know my contention with this whole thing has been um, the people that are dying here, 
they didn't have anything to do with the geopolitical issues that Vladimir Putin is pursuing. And uh, I hope we're able to bring an end to this conflict quickly. And I find what um, I find I find what Zelensky said on CNN yesterday somewhat troubling. Uh, this was the president of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I think it's worth repeating, given this latest news, at least six ca- uh, killed in these missile strikes on Lviv. This was Vladimir Zelensky on CNN State of the Union yesterday. The new Russian offensive uh, in the east, in the Donbass, could start any day. Your uh, administration officials have warned that it could look as big as World War II. You won the Battle of Kiev. Are you going to win the fight for the Donbass? For us, the battle for Donbass is very important. It is important for different reasons. For the reason of safety, first of all, our grouping that is located in Donbass is one of the best military we have. It is a large grouping, and Russia wants to encircle them and destroy them. It is nearly 40,000 people. It is 44,000 professional military men who survived a great war from the beginning of 2014. This is why it is very important for us to preserve that part of our army that is one of the most powerful. This is why it is very important for us not to allow them to stand our ground, because this battle, and it can happen, so there will be several battles, and we don't know how long it is going to take, it can influence the course of the whole war. Because I don't trust the Russian military and Russian leadership. That is why we understand that the fact that we fought them off and they left and they were running away from Kyiv, from the north, from Cherny and from that direction, it doesn't mean if they are able to capture Donbass, they won't come further towards Kyiv. That is why, for us, this battle is very important for many reasons. It is very important to win this battle. So uh, the, that actually wasn't the portion of the interview that I was looking for. The the portion that uh, that that he said, um, well, I guess it, it, it was included there. He says it's very important for us uh, to not allow them uh, to stand our ground. And I guess you did hear that there. Uh, the headlines are playing it a, a different way uh, than this Jake Tapper interview actually was, because in the context of what he says there, I think that's you know, I think that's certainly fine. Um, and I don't blame him for not trusting the Russian military and Russian leadership. However, I think when he says that's why we understand that the fact that we fought them off and they left and they were running away from Kiev, from the north, from uh, Kerniv, from that direction, it doesn't mean if they're able to capture Donbass, they won't come further towards Kiev. Now, I really... Um, it sounds like Zelensky is saying that they're not willing to have a negotiated end to this war, which I think is very dangerous. So um, my hope would be that Zelensky and Ukraine recognize that Crimea will never be a part of Ukraine again. And that a lot of the people in the Donbass region 
don't want to be a part of Ukraine. And that's kind of the reason a lot of this went down. Is because the ethnic Russians that are in the Donbass region either want to be independent or part of Russia. So the sooner that we can recognize that that's what's going to happen and that we can get there either through military conflict or through a negotiated settlement, the sooner we can end this. So um, that actually was not as bad as uh, what was being reported uh, when the headlines. See, that's why it's important to listen to the whole clip, because I was going by what the headline said, and I expected a much more recalcitrant Vladimir Zelensky. But, you know, it sounds like a guy that's uh, putting on a brave front there. All right. Follow up to a story that I we were discussing on Wednesday after this subway shooting. The question became, who should get the reward? There was a $50,000 reward for information leading to the suspected subway shooter. And a whole bunch of people were claiming that they were the ones that first ordered, that first alerted the authorities to the whereabouts of the subway shooter. We were talking about it, about who should get this reward. And I said, look, the person whose tip is most responsible for the capture of Frank James is Frank James. If that's where the reward's supposed to go, should he get it? Maybe you take that from that money to pay some of his victims. So now the department has announced on Friday five people will share this $50,000 reward for information leading to the capture of the suspected subway shooter. Uh, And the NYPD put out a statement that said each of the five individuals performed actions that under the established Crime Stoppers procedures elevated them to be considered for receiving reward money. The plan is for the combined $50,000 reward comprised of contributions from the Police Foundation, the MTA, and TWU Local 100 to be split evenly among these identified individuals. Detectives used information from the tipsters to construct a timeline of events leading to the apprehension of Frank James on Wednesday, 30 hours after he allegedly fired, not allegedly, after he fired 33 bullets into a subway train car, wounding 10 people. And he was, of course, apprehended in the East Village, where he was reportedly found standing at a kiosk charging his mobile phone. Police have explained they were already headed to the neighborhood, after receiving a tip that James had been at a nearby McDonald's. Law enforcement officials reportedly told various news outlets they believe James called in the tip himself. One call to the NYPD Crime Stoppers was reportedly someone who said, I think you're looking for me. I'm seeing my picture all over the news, and I'll be around this McDonald's. The NYPD is not releasing the names of the people who will be splitting the money. However, several individuals have already publicly claimed credit, most notably Zach Tahan. That's the fellow that was installing the security cameras. That's become a social media meme. He's a 21 years years old guy, immigrant, really just a colorful character that social media loves. And he gave reporters and passersby a breathless account 
of spotting the shooting suspect walking down the street. So you have Zach Danon. You have Francisco Puebla, the man who hired Tahan to install the cameras on Wednesday, also recognize James. Meanwhile, portrait artists Lee Vasu um, told Artnet he just left Cafe Mogador on St. Mark's Place along with his mother, wife, and eight-month-old daughter before spotting James. So you have the artist. And then you have to wonder, who's the other person? Right? Who is the other person that is splitting the reward? So they're saying there's five people that are going to split the reward. So we have Zach, the social media sensation. We have the guy, Puebla, who hired the social media sensation. We have the artist. And then I think, I guess the other person is the artist's uh, wife. Well, who's the fifth? Who's the fifth person? Why don't we know it? Let's go back to the question I asked on Wednesday, which is whose tip was most responsible for Frank James being apprehended? Answer, Frank James. And that, my friends, is why I don't think we know the identity of all five tipsters here. I think one of the, they're not releasing the name of Frank James because they don't want people to go nuts that they're giving $10,000 to Frank James. Otherwise, who would it be? What do you think? 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Now, rest assured, I'm sure if it is Frank James, that $10,000 is going to go to making restitution. The only reason that I think it might not be Frank James is the ABC News article on this and some of the other reporting characterized these five people as good Samaritans. Now, Frank James is certainly not a good Samaritan, but why would we not know who it is? Hmm. And what do you think about the fact that they're splitting the money rather than each getting their own share of $50,000? Now, I said at the time, and I stand by this, and I know some people in the Facebook group disagreed. I, I said at the time that I think everybody that turned Frank James in and alerted the police, they would have done so even if there was no reward here. But um, the re- reality was there was a reward offered and there's nothing that motivates people faster than a cash reward. So tell me, give me your thoughts on this. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Do you think this is what's going on here? 
Uh, let me begin with Steve in Manhattan. Hello, Steve. Yeah, Frank James is going to get the reward money. Frank James should be strapped to the tracks on the seven line. And, folks, as usual, i got to lead off with fire the sense that this audience wants to hear me. Listen, before I get to the meat and potatoes here, when Curtis turned the show into Guys and Dolls, I dumped it, flat out dumped it. And um, the thing with the with the money for the tipsters and stuff, it's always great. It's interesting to see what other calls came in and where people might have thought they spotted them and stuff. Those calls must be really something else to listen to as they come in. But um, I just want to talk about the uh, Russians, the Ukrainians for a second here. Listen, the, the Russians... Uh, the leaders, the non-leaders, are this. We know they're psychopaths, and they don't care about casualties on their side or the Ukrainian side. Now they're talking about Eastern Ukraine, which is beachfront property. It's the Black Sea on that side, and if they do take it over, they'll turn Ukraine into a landlocked country, which put which will put Ukraine at a big disadvantage for any kind of military maneuvers if they become landlocked. I really believe this This is a fight where there's really only one way out. It's a street fight. Ukrainians have to fight like the, the Chechnyans fought in the first war against the Russians. Do I have any follow-ups? Uh, no. Uh, all my questions have been answered. Thank you, Steve. 800-848-WABC. Tom in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yeah, hi, Frank. Yes. <clears throat> I'd like to make a few uh, th thoughts here. Yes. But uh, I'd like to say that I believe you're right. In other words, by giving uh, Frank or Brother Jesse the money, it would promote uh, for the public to get mad and say, well, crime is winning out again in a strange way, you know. Well, you might be right, Tom. Um, I, I Look, it's just my speculation. I just think that if it was another good Samaritan, they would have either come forward or somebody from the department would want to recognize them. Well, why are they keeping the name of this person secret? 800-848-WAC. Unless it's somebody that's afraid of retribution of some sort. It's certainly possible. Certainly possible. What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. Fred is in Garfield. Hello, Fred. Hi, Frank. Uh, Frank James should get nothing. He killed people. The other five people that called the 911 call should get it uh, divided up by them. Incidentally, I caught a movie tonight called I Walked in Peter's Shoes. It was with Anthony Quinn. What a great story it was. Two hours and 45 minutes, and it was very much about the situation now with Ukraine and Russia that happened previously. T give me the name of the film again, because I do like Anthony uh, Quinn, and I've never seen oh, that film. The best I ever saw Anthony Quinn. I walked in Peter's shoes. They made him, they made him the Pope because he was a Russian Pope. Oh, interesting. I'll check it out. And, uh, uh, oh, it, 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 you know what, though? The only thing is it was like going to Mass for three hours and 45 minutes. But the story was there, and you know what? You would understand it better than I did. I had a little trouble understanding some of it. But it, it's history, and it, it's true, and it's very similar to what's happening now. Thank you, Fred. Appreciate the okay. recommendation. I have not seen that film, uh, but I will. Uh, I will try and check it out. And uh, by the way, coming up in a few minutes, we're going to do the $1,000 Minute, where you get to try your hand at answering 10 trivia questions in 60 days. So start, start, you know, getting your brain juices flowing, because when I cue you, 
to be the seventh caller to 800-848-9222. That'll be your cue to call. And if you are the seventh caller, you'll get the opportunity to answer these 10 trivia questions. All right. Uh, meantime, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on what we're talking about. Ralph is in New Jersey. Hello, well, Ralph. You know, in addition, I have a combination of my own, okay? the uh, I know that you are not in the YouTube channel now, or your YouTube channel has been done, but some of these Sunday services are live stream, and I find myself on the live stream of a religious service, as, as, you know, a Sunday Easter service. Mm-hmm. Here, the, the church is, uh, you know, St. Anthony of Padua over here in Red Bank. The, it, an excellent live stream service, uh, which is on the uh, YouTube channel, is St. Valentine's over in, in Bloomfield, too. Um, and uh, I want to commend them for, you know, the live stream uh, that they put on, uh, you know, the YouTube channel, as well as two, two three, play, three other places around Red Bank, uh, frankly, I want to commend Okay, Seacolf's Market for the excellent meal that they provide for Easter Sunday. I got a taste of it, uh, a steak and grill, also in Red Bank. Also, a, you know, a, to, a meal to crave for, especially the steak, the well-done steak. Oh, my goodness. And fi- finally, last but not least, isn't our black for helping me out with, with my taxes because today is tax day. Absolutely. I'm doing it at the 11th hour. And I want to just come in, a lady there who goes by the name Lillian from the Philippines, and I'm not going to mention last name, but she is from here. The just is uh, sure. So thank you to all of them. Thank. All right. Uh, that's all. Thank all you. right. Thank you, Ralph. Appreciate it. Mike is in Queens. Hello, Mike. Hey, another guy from the Philippines actually was born there. So, oh, really? Uh, hi, I could I could tell hi, by your your accent. I can't hear a word. I can't make out a word you're saying. That's pretty <laughs> good. Anyways, now but, you got me convinced, yeah. Mike. All right. Yeah. Okay. But, but now I don't understand. What right? if you and Ralph? If you, if you and Ralph are both from the Philippines, why does he sound like you know that he's speaking through the drive-through window at McDonald's, and you sound like uh, like Anthony Quinn in that movie? Well, because we worked in the same field for many years. I used to be a journalist in the Philippines. Oh, Lost my vision. Very interesting. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Well, no, don't be sorry. It's just it's still me. I just can't see. There's nothing different. Yeah, there. well, I mean, I, anyway. don't get me wrong. I'm thrilled you can't watch television, but uh, you know, uh, I'm happy to have you as a radio listener. Hey, I listen to you guys every night. I got nothing else to do most of the time. Uh, I also listen to Curtis, and I actually uh, have met Curtis a couple of times. Ah, uh, uh, my sympathies. That must have been very trying. Yeah, that's great. He, he, you know, the other side of him, maybe not the other side of midnight, but the other side of him is he does do a lot of good out here at Woodside in Queens, where I live, which is, by the way, the little Filipino town in, in New York City, for those oh, people who don't know. Very nice. Um, they do a lot of these walks with the guardian angels that still go around and do patrols, you know, even during the campaign period, uh, even after the campaign period, all these guys are still out there, and they're heroes in their own way, and, and they do a lot to make the community safe, especially for guys like me. You know, I've almost been hit a couple of times by people, uh, you know, with hammers and whatnot, and all of a sudden somebody just comes up and stops it. You know, I guess there's angels out there. Maybe they're not the same kind of uh, Curtises all the time. Absolutely. There are absolutely. There. Now, on Frank James, and I want to be very clear here. I looked up the law, listened to the article, and listened to the uh, uh, listened to the uh, legal code as to how it was created. 
And it basically says the perpetrator of a crime cannot partake in the reward. I see. So okay, so it does say that uh, as per crime, uh, crime Stoppers, the procedure there. Yeah, under the ordinance that created it, under the program that funds it, it, it just uh, – uh, you cannot let it, – it's the same thing like let's say with you or me. When I was still a journalist, when I was still a broadcaster – I would interview a lot of these guys who were, you know, they threw a bomb, they took somebody hostage, they did this, and they would meet up with us. And if I tipped off on their location, which legally the Patriot Act required me to do after interviewing them, uh, I couldn't get a reward on them, you know, if they were ever captured or whatever. Many of them eventually were. I had nothing to do with it, but, you know, uh, what I'm saying is if you're like uh, a journalist or a soldier or a policeman or um, uh, the perpetrator of the crime themselves, like Osama bin Laden couldn't turn himself in for $50 billion. It's it's a basic concept in this thing that the owner of the poison tree cannot... Well, I mean, look, that does make sense, and that is a sound policy. Uh, After all, you know, uh, you're not supposed to be able to profit from your crimes as part of the... I mean, that's the Son of Sam uh, law as well, and that does seem to make sense. So I would hope that is the case, Mike, and I'll certainly take your word for it that that is the case. Can I give you one last point? Please, yeah. really quick point. The person who possibly is the one we don't know about Maybe the person he was charging his phone to call. Mm. Very interesting. Well, that would make sense that uh, that person might be worried about uh, some type of retribution. Very interesting. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Great call. 800-848-9222. Neil's on Staten Island. Neil, happy Pesach. Thank you very much, Frank. Did little uh, Carmine wear the matzo ball bib? He did, actually. So we'd like to see a picture. Yeah, of that I'll, uh, I'll I'll have my wife send you a photo, or if you, I know you're in touch with her. You can reach her on Instagram or Twitter. She'll send it to you. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. <laughs> I also uh, want to comment on the on the reward. I, like the previous call was said, you can't profit from your from your own crime. Well, good. That makes sense. That makes imagine sense. I feel I feel a lot better about that now. Imagine if Dillinger turned himself in and uh, got the reward and give it to his wife or his girlfriend or whatever. Well. Would be his girlfriend. She's the one that turned him in. Right. I mean, or Whitey Bulger, or uh, anybody, or anybody else on the ten I, most wanted I, list. It makes sense. It makes sense. I also want. I also want to say, Frank, that uh, you were a little wrong about the Arizona iced tea, the price thing. We all know it's not the CEO's uh, deal to keep the price like that. It's up to Putin because Putin is controlling all the prices for food and inflation. <laughs> uh, that's a good one, Neil. That's a good one. By the way, look, I'm not disputing that what's happening in Russia is having some inflationary pressures on the economy. But, I mean, it's just absurd what President Biden has been saying on that front. And it's not me saying so. The Washington Post, not exactly considered a right-wing outlet, they did a fact check on what President Biden has been saying about gas prices. And they found that it was – Three Pinocchios. They found, the Washington Post found that he was not telling the truth about it. So it's not like uh, Newsmax said it. 800-848-WABC. Jimmy is in Brooklyn. Hello, Jimmy. Frankie boy, how are you tonight? Hanging in there, man. Hanging in there. All right, Frank, uh, two points. Uh, One, when are people going to finally realize that between you and Curtis, it's called shtick? Yeah, exactly. That's number one. That's number one. Number two, uh, 
one person that you failed to mention about as far as collecting the fifth part of that uh, 50 grand is the guy that happened to be sitting on King's Highway here in Brooklyn, uh, which is only a few blocks from where I am right now, and he was listening to WABC. That's uh, right, Rudy Giuliani. That's right. Yeah, he put the plate number over the uh, over the airwaves there, and he immediately called in and said that, yeah, this truck is sitting right here on Kings Highway and West whatever, you know? And so I'm thinking that maybe he is uh, a possibility to receive ten grand. What do you think? Uh, it could be. It could be. That's as good of a, that's as good of a uh, theory as as I've heard. Uh, it certainly could be. Uh, makes sense. Makes sense to me. Um, I, I heard a lot of other people say that they all should get. Fifty thousand, not necessarily, um, not necessarily ten thousand. So it really, uh, you know, I don't know. Again, I think they all would have done the same thing if they didn't get any money. But Rich is in East Meadow. Hello, Rich. Hey, good morning, Frank. Hope all is well this weekend. Um, I'm following up on your last caller. Uh, I was thinking Rudy Giuliani was in the ecosystem as well. Um, it would be very ironic and it would be poetic justice if uh, the man that is the greatest mayor ever, who they tried to cast a leper, and people like Eric Adams disrespect and disregard, uh, our people were on top of it and they worked with the former mayor, the great Rudy Giuliani, to um, help bring this thing to an end. And I love the word hyperfocus. Yeah, hey, I, I do too, Rich. Thank you very much. Hey, seventh caller to 1-800-848-WABC. Seventh caller, you'll get an opportunity to play the $1,000 minute answer. Ten trivia questions in 60 seconds, and you can be the proud recipient, maybe not of $50,000, but of $1,000. Be the seventh caller right now to 1-800-848-9222. Straight ahead. WABC. Frank Marano. 77. WABC. Give me a hole if you got your funky bus fare. Double Dutch Bus, a classic, if ever there was one. All right, uh, this game is rapidly becoming a classic. Millions, not quite millions, not yet anyway, uh, but um, pretty close to hundreds of thousands are tuning in each and every morning to hear the $1,000 Minute, a contest where you get to showcase and show off your wits in only 60 seconds, as one lucky person will do momentarily. The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. 
Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morano. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let's meet today's contestant, Gary in Westchester. Hello, Gary. Good evening. Good morning. Uh, well, good morning to you, Gary. So, Gary, have you heard this contest before? Yes, I have. So you know you know what you're doing. Okay. Oh, I'm asking. Do you? Yes, I do. Okay. Um, you sound a lot like Al from Manhattan. Are you actually Al from Manhattan? You're not calling under a pseudonym, are you? No, I'm not. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Nothing. I just I don't know who Al from Manhattan is. I feel like this might be Al from Manhattan. Are you are, no. are you trying to are you in some in concert with Molly on this? The two of you trying to play us for a fool and then split this money? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. All right, I'll take this your word my, for it. This is my this is my morning voice. It's not my normal voice. I see. Okay. All right. All right. We'll go along with it. Uh, by the way, if Al from Manhattan is out there, call in. I want to see if we can get the the, the, the real Al from Manhattan, not the other Al from Manhattan. I want to see if we can get do a side by side voice comparison because I thought Larry and Charles were the same person, and it turns out they're different people. So sometimes Clark mm. Kent and Superman are in the same place at the same time. Mm. All right, you ready to go, Gary? Yes. If yeah. that's your mm. real name, okay. The, the timer will begin after I ask the first question. And then uh, you'll have 60 seconds. If you get one right, we're just going to move on to the next question, okay? Okay. What type of animal is Disney's mascot, Mickey? Mouse. Name a basketball team. The New York Knicks. Who was the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic? Amelia Earhart. How many justices currently sit on the U.S. Supreme Court? Nine. What does WWW stand for in a website browser? World Wide Web. What New York Post gossip columnist hosts a WABC radio show on the weekend? Cindy Adams. What network does David Muir anchor the evening news for? ABC. What city is the basis for the board game Monopoly? Uh, I have city. I have no idea. Take a guess. Um, <laughs> Minneapolis. All right. Well, it was not Minneapolis. All right. You did well, though. You got seven questions right. You lost on question eight. The the St. James Place, New York Avenue, Tennessee Avenue. These are all streets that you can find. Boardwalk, Park Place, Marvin Gardens. These New are Jersey. in Atlantic City, New Jersey. New Jersey. Oh, God. You could find Atlantic there. You could find Pacific. I mean, it is confusing because the board game does not have a Martin Luther King Boulevard, but uh, the rest of the streets are all in Atlantic City. All right, I'm going to put you on hold, Gary. You did well, and uh, give Molly your information, and if you are truthing about not being out, then we'll send you a consolation prize. So uh, give Molly your information. But, um, guy, I mean, I really feel like, I feel like most people would know that one. Atlantic City. Plus, we talk about that all the time. 
How often when we do our Thursday morning segment on Atlantic City, how often do I say it's time for our weekly look at Monopoly City? There's a reason it's called Monopoly City because the board game is based on Atlantic City. He did well, though. Seven rights. Seven rights. Not well enough for the thousand. But if you didn't get through today, try again tomorrow. And by the way, um, I honestly don't know if that was Al from um, Manhattan or not. But um, I don't want people to get the idea that you can just call in again under a pseudonym if you've already played the game. We want to try and give new people an opportunity to participate in the game. By the way, somebody commenting on Facebook, and again, if you want to sign up for Hustle through my Facebook page, The Hustle, then you can um, find that on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash MoranoFan. You can also comment on anything we're talking about. George writes, The Shoes of the Fisherman was the film with Anthony Quinn that your caller was speaking of. See, I've not seen that either, but that makes more sense. I have heard of that. The Shoes of the Fisherman. It's not uh, not that in Peter's name situation. But I haven't seen it. I do like Anthony Quinn, though. A wonderful, wonderful actor, if ever there was one. Hey, by the way, speaking of things going on at the um, at the workplace, I, I, I don't want to... I'm going to share with you an email that was sent a couple of days ago, I think on Friday, from our head of HR here at the radio station. And she does a great job. Um, whenever I need something, she's always great in terms of getting answers to things and all, all sorts of things like that. Uh, it, Candace is her name. She's wonderful. So she sends out a, a memo right before people who have conventional hours are getting ready to leave for the weekend, right around 5 o'clock on Friday. Subject, weekend. This is what it says. Hey, everyone. We are on our own in terms of cleaning up and changing garbages over the weekend. If you make a mess, please clean it up. I also left the supply closet open just in case you run out of anything. Forks, spoons, toilet paper, etc. Um, good. It's a, all good. There is a period missing after that parenthesis, though. So there's... No period, but it's fine. Busy managing human resources. Can't be punctuating. And this was so interesting. Also capitalized also with one, two, three, four, five exclamation points. Also, just so everyone is aware, you can't. You can't put plastic on top of a hot toaster oven. Plastic melts. Now, the best is, I love how she phrased this. You can't put plastic on top of a hot toaster oven. Dot, dot, dot. Plastic, and then it's another dot, 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 indicating a pause for dramatic effect. Melts. Also, capital Just so everyone is aware, you can't put plastic on top of a hot toaster oven. Plastic melts. Have a good weekend, everyone. Double exclamation point. Now, I have to wonder. Now, the thing that's amazing to me about this is that it needed to be stated. 
who in the world is putting plastic on a hot toaster oven? And is it one of those things where you're holding a plastic tray or something and then you put it down on the hot toaster oven because you're absent-minded, because you need your hands free? Or is was it more of a concerted effort? Oh, where can I put this plastic? Let me Let me put it on the hot toaster oven. Because I would think that everybody, even people, and, and look, this maybe goes back to my discussion with Mr. Kaufman before. I would think that everybody is intelligent enough to know that plastic melts. Well, who would put that on? And then I'm just picturing, I'm tr- I, could, I spent a lot of time thinking about that memo over the weekend. Because I'm thinking... If you're the person that is so dense that you don't know that plastic shouldn't be put on a hot toaster oven, are you really going to know that this memo applies to you? Because I have to think you're so out of it that, I don't know, I mean, I don't know, I guess there are certain circumstances that, I don't know, maybe you just forget and maybe wow, it's wow. not hot when you put it down, and then somebody turns it on, and it melts. I just thought that was strange. 800-848-WABC. Peter is in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Hello, Peter. Once again, as always. Hey, Frank. Hi. Um, so I just wanted to follow up on something, that I, a little factoid that I just learned. You and I were talking last week. I had mentioned... Uh, uh, we were talking about Lawrence Tierney and why they got rid of him on Seinfeld. Right. Um, because he was a maniac. Uh, but um, I just came across another uh, <clears throat> little factoid in a book. I think it was, uh, I forget where it was. Anyway, about Seinfeld. So uh, George's girlfriend, who unfortunately passed away from licking a poison right. envelope. Su- Susan, yeah. Susan, uh, played by the actress Heidi Swedberg. Mm-hmm. So apparently, uh, they, uh, according to Jason Alexander directly, they got rid of her from the show because, as Jason Alexander put it, um, uh, she was effing impossible to work with. Yeah. So they wrote her out of, yeah, you know, no, and I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, no, I, I heard uh, Jason Alexander made those comments on the Howard Stern show, and I heard... That interview, when he said that a few years ago, and that was pretty interesting, and it did provide a lot of context. Apparently, um, he always had to do these scenes from, you know, with, with Heidi, and he wasn't getting a lot back from her. So they did one episode where the rest of the cast also has to interact with Heidi a lot. And then after they had to deal with Heidi, then they all agreed that um, it was best to kill her off. But, um, yeah, yeah, I'm very I'm familiar with it. And, by the way, on, on the Seinfeld front, Liz Sheridan, who played Jerry's mother on the show, she just passed away a couple of days ago as well. Oh, and apparently, according to her directly, I think at one point uh, in her younger life, I believe she had an affair with Marlon Brando. Uh, I think it was James Dean, but it could have been both. Oh, was it James Dean? Uh, no, you know, you yeah, yeah, it might have been James but it was, yeah, it was uh, definitely James it was one Dean. Of those, uh, 
sexy actors from the 1950s. Yeah, yeah I, I think it was James Dean. Peter, thank you. Um, but yeah, uh, that's, that's a true story. Everything there was true. All right, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a bit. If you want to be heard, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. You can be heard on any subject for 50 straight ahead. WABC. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Two theme songs. Thank you very much, Andy B. Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, taking you until 4.58.40 each and every morning, at least for the time being. I'm told there are things being worked out behind the scenes to try to get me that extra minute back. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. For the time being, though, we're ending at 4.58.40. Uh, and then coming up at 6 a.m., I had a few interesting guests on the Bernie and Sid show. Judge Andrew Napolitano, one of my favorites, is going to be on the show. He's been on this show many times. He's absolutely terrific. He's going to be on. Rich Lowry, editor-in-chief of National Review, he's going to be on. And Ron DeGay, the uh, former hockey player who played, I think, for the Rangers, he is going to be um, talking with Bernie and Sid at the 9 o'clock hour. And Ron DeGay these days is dating Sarah Palin, who's running for Congress out there in Alaska. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that race turns out. As I've explained before, I think she actually would have been better off under Alaska's old system, which was just winner take all. But now... Now, the way it works is all the candidates run together, and then you they the top four i mean it's such a weird system. The top four advance to a runoff, and then there's rank choice voting for those top four i mean you think about it, it's like a rube electoral Rube Goldberg device Is it any more complicated? All right, so you gotta vote. Do we vote in that round using rank choice voting? No, you just vote. Okay, we don't use ranked choice voting. Then, uh, then what happens? Is it there's there's a there's a runoff? Yeah, there's a runoff. How many candidates? Two? No, four. All right, four. So you just then vote from the four. No, 
What do you mean? Oh, you got to use ranked choice voting. Well, I thought you said I didn't have to use ranked choice voting. No, that was the ranked choice voting for the first round. There's no ranked choice voting in the first round, but ranked choice voting in the second round. I mean, you talk about something that couldn't be more confusing to people. I mean, come on, just pick a system. If you want runoffs, have runoffs. If you want ranked choice voting, you don't need a runoff. The ranked choice voting is an instant runoff. Have them rank and for the first round, then you save the cost of a second round of elections. But Whatever. I guess there's a certain reason that they do things like that in Alaska. They're trying to bring – I know one group that's trying to bring that system to New York. I am hoping they're not successful. I'll tell you about this another day, but I'm working behind the scenes with another movement to maybe bring about a a better electoral system than what they have in Alaska because I don't think that would work well for us. But uh, stay tuned for that. All right. Without further ado, uh, it is time for you to be heard for 15 seconds. We don't screen the calls for content, so call in on any subject. Just turn your radio off. That's the only thing that we would ask. 800-848-9222. It's time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Chris is in Mount Vernon. Hello, Chris. Hi, I want to wish a happy sixth birthday to my beautiful daughter, Alessia, baby. I hope you have a great day. Love you. Oh, that's nice. Happy birthday. Corey in New York. Hey, guys. I think uh, AOC is the type of person who put plastic on a toaster oven (laughs) if she were to be allowed to use one or so inclined. 800-848-WABC, Bob in Queens. Yes, today is tax day, and I can tell you this. The only party that ever raised my taxes were Republicans. Democrats did not raise my taxes. And I'm sick of this nonsense of them getting away with saying, oh, we lower taxes. It's just an absolute bull, because the fact of the matter is... The 15 seconds. Uh, Charlie in Hell's Kitchen. Sid Rosenberg is not a moron. Sid Rosenberg is not a moron. He's a highly professional broadcaster. The caller who calls in and keeps saying Sid's a moron, he's the actual moron. Mike in New Jersey. Good morning, Frank. Frank, I love the picture uh, on Instagram of your dad and your son. Is it safe to say that Carmine was not driving that night? <laughs> That's true. Mike is in Canarsie. Hey, Jay Frank, my dad tried to call in to play the trivia game, and he was refused because he called before and he lost. Uh, he wanted to also point out on the air that you said you have uh, 60 days to answer 10 trivia questions. He wanted to hire a research crew. Uh, 60 seconds. Neil in Staten Island. Yeah, I was just thinking, Frank, when Carmine was drinking that little drink there, uh, did you turn to him and say, hey, Carmine, where did I park the car? Do you know? <laughs> because I can't remember. Uh, I didn't. 800-848-9222. Rich is in East Meadow. Good morning to my friend Kenneth James out there and uh, Chris from from uh, the Catskills. I know what you're thinking. Frank does not want a surprise party. Don't do it. <laughs> Pete is in Manhattan. Sizzle moron, sizzle moron, sizzle moron. Uh, Joey is in Old Bridge. Hey, how you doing, Frank? I ne- You know, don't get mad. I never listened to you before. I'm up early. I'm on my way to uh, take care of a couple of tests. But lo and behold, I hear my friend of 40 years, Andy B. Bad, on your theme song, 
Andy's a great guy. We love him in Staten Island. Native. Thank you, Joey. Sid on Staten Island. No, Sid's gone. 800-848-9222. My Uncle John. Hello. Hey, Frank. Happy Easter. Everybody, save a life. Give a kidney. And make sure you're a, uh, you're a uh, organ donor on your license. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's good advice every month, especially right around now. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, now, uh, by the way, um, oh, uh, we'll get one more. No, okay. Uh, Ralph was on already. Uh, by the way, I'll just mention that in the next, I think, in the next 45 minutes or so, uh, my stepmother is undergoing a surgery to have uh, two screws removed from her leg. She was in a very bad car accident about three or four years ago, and uh, somebody was speeding, going around a corner, and and propelled her, you know, a dozen feet in the air while she was just minding her own business, walking with with my dad, and she was in a very serious car accident, lucky to be alive, and she's very active. You know, she runs and does all these other things. So uh, they did a, a surgery that will, I, I guess, better allow the leg to heal fully. So she and my dad were up early this morning. I, I don't know if they're listening to me, but they were up around 4.30 this morning preparing her for that surgery. And uh, I would like to wish her her luck as well in uh, in that surgery because um, if anyone deserves it, it certainly lives. Not getting hit by the car, but luck when it comes to surgery, and uh, apparently the doctor is very on top of things here, very good doctor, and it's not a terribly complicated procedure, but you just still, you never know whenever you go under anesthesia, it's one of those things. All right, the uh, WABC early news is coming up in just two minutes, and then you'll get to hear the Bernie and Sid show featuring Ron DeGay, Judge Andrew Napolitano, and Rich Lowry. Uh, it's going to be a show for the ages. Tomorrow, yeah, today is tax day. So if you haven't filed your taxes yet and you haven't yet filed an extension, please be sure to do so. The last thing you need to do is get caught with these penalties. So uh, don't postpone. Uh, I'm certainly um, not looking forward to having the state yank whatever money I owe them, but then I am looking forward to my federal refund. But tomorrow, uh, one of the things I didn't get to do today is there's a fella that's written a book called A Fine Mess. His name's T.R. Reed. And he looked at almost every type of tax proposal that they've talked about bringing to this this country because there's some country that has done it. Flat tax, VAT, carbon tax, whatever. So I'm going to talk with T.R. Reed about what, the best country is in terms of the tax code and what we could learn from them. Because I think I had to pay our accountant 240 bucks to do our taxes this year. Why? There is no reason we should not have a system of return-free filing as, as countries like Japan do. So we're going to get into that uh, tomorrow with T.R. Reid. I believe he's going to be here. I have some other surprise guests uh, in store for you tomorrow. You want to stay in touch, you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. It's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. And uh, you can certainly find me on Twitter at Frank Morano. Frank Morano, good day. Good day.